0: Late Night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio.
1: I love Kirsten McCall so much. I've been thinking, though, about obviously naming no names, right, this question, and I need your help with it. Naming no names. But obviously, recently there's been a lot of talk about family in the news, like family loyalty, how much you owe somebody that you're related to, how much you owe your parents, how much slack you should give them for their behaviour. Um how much loyalty you give to the person that you have chosen to spend your life with as opposed to the people you started your life with, all that sort of stuff. So, I just wanted to mull some questions over with you really, sort of questions about duty and remembering where you came from and it seems for some people at least, the people you share your DNA with should come before everybody else regardless of what they've done. Family first, all that stuff. It's kind of DNA is the beginning and the end of the argument. It's not, is it? Not, not really. Not for you. Not for me. Not for most people who've got a real family. You know, not one that's been made up by um, a nineteen fifties television show. And by the way, those families didn't exist then, probably. So. Family, let's have a little think about it and um, the definition of it and how it's changed and not just how it's represented, because I know that, you know, there are more uh, variations of the 2.4 children ideal being represented in the media and that these days, but how is it for you? Right, I went to a funeral last week of someone who, for one reason or another, didn't speak to their family for years and years, and yet that place was packed, Right. There were people queuing out the door. And the reason for that was she'd rebuilt her family. She'd built a, an alternative. She'd surrounded herself with people that she chose to surround herself with, not just people that happened to be related to her. You know, unfortunately, towards the end of her life, the family started to sort of reconnect. But the family she built, I think the ties were stronger. And that's not sad, is it? It's actually brilliant. 0344 499 1000. I really love to get your stories on this one. I mean, maybe you subscribe to the whole family first thing. Maybe you've put yourself out to be able to stay close with yours. Maybe you've given things up so you can, you know, take care of someone who nece- wasn't necessarily the best parent growing up or whatever it might be. Or maybe you decided at some point in your life that actually the people that you were related to weren't the people that you needed around you if you are going to have a successful and happy life. So I'll leave that with you, and uh, nice and loose, as loose as you like, 0344 499 1000. Uh, You can uh, text me on uh, 87222 and start your text with the word TALK. That text will cost you 25p plus your standard network charge. And I know, right, that kind of is loosely pegged on something in the news, but I just think it's a universal story. There was a story in the paper today about a certain father who says, now it's time to look after daddy. Is it always the case that's just because your parent is elderly and happens to have given you some of your DNA that you owe them? And maybe it's not a parent, maybe it's a sibling. 0344 499 1000. Uh, You can uh, tweet at Talk Radio or at Flippin Kath. I'm Catherine Boyle, by the way. I'm normally here uh, with Ian Lee. He's having a couple of days off. So I'm hoping you'll help me out with the next three hours. It'll be really good to hear from you. Uh, Yeah, so we've got that. We've got um, twins and how one dad has decided that it's only fair that he brings his twins up as separately as possible so they're not considered to be kind of a pair, the same person. He thinks it's more emotionally damaging to do that. Uh, We've also got um, this troubling story of, well, is it troubling? Maybe it's the democratisation of... Of plastic surgery. Nah, it's troubling. People are buying lip fillers on Facebook and doing it themselves at home. Now, I've been listening, I've been watching a lot of Botched recently. It's a program about plastic surgeons, like the best plastic surgeons, apparently, in California, and how they kind of fix people's wonky boobs and big lips and you know, mis- misplaced um, inserts and things like bum because people do all sorts to themselves in America. But the thing is, where they lead, we follow. And this big lip thing has been quite big for a number of years. I still remember when Ivy Tilsley did hers, and there was a big hoo-ha about those. But it's kind of, if you get a good one, a good lip job, you can't tell. But there are a lot of people walking around with mouths that look like they've, you know, um, done... Five Rounds with Mike Tyson. 0344-499-1000. We are going to be talking about that as well. And the fact that girls primarily, although some blokes as well, are doing these things at home and coming out with these massive old lips. Why would you do that to yourself? 0344-499-1000. We've got Amy on the line. Hey, Amy. Hi, Amy. Okay. Hey, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks
2: for ringing. What you got? Okay, so obviously for your um, uh, subject online for the family. Yeah. Um, a brilliant question um, for me, family does come first, however, my family I would be a prime example of that not being the case, which is kind of bizarre right so the ideal is that the family
1: comes first, but the reality sometimes interferes
2: yeah, so similar to you, um, there were people at you know my grandparents' funeral which our family, in terms of being aunties, uncles, cousins, people that I've not even seen since they were born, mm-hmm. um, and likewise them for me. Um, there were people that had got married and had children, that, you know, people say, so like, I had second cousins there that I'd never met. I didn't know what these people were doing for a living. I didn't know where they were living, and they didn't know anything about that with me either, and it was really sad that that reunion had to be at a funeral. Yeah. Um, so the only family for me that I really have is my family at home, which is my mum and dad and my siblings. And I would do anything for them, like anything. And I know that they would do the same for me. But I also would have done the same for the for the, for the the extended family. I'd have done anything for my aunties, uncles and cousins. But for them to not know when my birthday is or, you know... Know where I live, or I mean, no, I'm not just not to have that communication. I think is really really sad. Um, so that element of doing anything and being loyal to your family is isn't what everyone thinks and or expects. Mm-hmm. I'm taking
1: it then that whatever happened to make your family kind of go off into the four winds happened in the g- generation before you was nothing to do with you
2: i mean it wasn't even that anything happened it just it, people just seem to just have moved on um you know they moved further up the country or grew up mm-hmm. i guess and you know when when you get married and then you have your own children and stuff then you know your, your family you have a new family of your own. yeah and i guess everyone just went their separate ways and that family loyalty like you say just just obviously wasn't there for everyone mm-hmm. or, or maybe their
1: idea of loyalty wasn't the same thing the fact that they turned up for the funeral maybe they felt like that's them doing their bit
2: yeah oh absolutely um so yeah so for me my family at home is really all i've ever known um and i've got family like you were saying um your family member, she's created her own, you know, through friends. Um, I've sort of done the same thing for myself, you know, I've got aunties that aren't blood related but would do anything for me, and I do anything for them, so therefore that's my family. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think family loyalty and having that understanding is so, so mixed. When you first, when you got back together at this
1: funeral, was it weird? Did you feel part of something bigger or did you realise that you, you were just kind of a number of different families who had these people in common?
2: I mean, I couldn't believe how many of us there were. Um, and it was lovely to meet people that, uh, you know, you'd hear of names during conversation, but you'd never, I'd never seen their face. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was a really bizarre catch-up, you know, for me at 26 years of, you know, what have I done with my life and having that conversation with those people and and then at the end of it saying goodbye and knowing actually this this is probably not going to see you again, so
1: yeah till the next one that was the thing we were saying at the f- yeah. and it's not that i've you know the the whatever happened with our family that made you know the the sort of fragmenting happen happened the generation before mine and the kids were yeah. never supposed to be brought into it but of course inevitably when the parents are involved you know you just don't get put in the same you just don't go to the same places anymore right. and so the you know the the the, the risk is that the cousins kind of grow apart even though we hadn't fallen out or anything like that and I just remember being asked questions about um can you tell us a funny story about this person or and I just thought I haven't seen him enough to have a funny story I've got a few memories but nothing I haven't got enough memories to be able to pick and choose something brilliant you know what I mean and I felt that was really sad
2: it is it is really sad so like I say my family at home I'll do absolutely anything for them and one day should I have a family of my own I'd like to that yeah, and I'm one of four kids. And you want four? No, no, I'm one of four. All oh, right. <laughs> no, I definitely don't. Want
1: four. <laughs> I used to no, want a big family. Then I had one, and I thought maybe two's enough.
2: <laughs> no, no, um, no, I'm one of four, and so between me and my siblings, have sort of made the pact that we won't um, let our children and our family generation be what we've experienced,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we will try and keep that loyalty so hopefully that will work but it depends what
1: people do and it people are individuals people's behavior and stuff yeah it does
2: but i don't know it's
1: it's a good intention i think it's a really good intention absolutely thanks for ringing amy it was nice to hear from you oh you too 03444991000. Oh, 03444991000. Four, Alan Caddick. Hi, Calf. What's going on with you today, Alan?
4: Well, first question, where's the governor?
1: He's having a couple of days off. He said he was going to yesterday, and I think it's probably. Uh, you probably. Know, a bit.
4: Yeah, have a bit of
1: a relaxed chill out.
4: Yeah. I mean, and no Sam on the phone tonight. Sam is
1: uh, pressing the buttons today.
4: So who's answering the phones? Uh, David. Oh, David. He, I wonder if he's a Ward fan. I don't know what happened between Ward and Liverpool tonight.
1: Well, uh why don't you Google it?
4: I'm outside at the moment. I'm nowhere near a computer and I'm on a landline.
1: Well, I'm on the radio at the moment and I'm not interested, so well, both of us... Well,
4: before you got the boys because that kind of information. Well, how
1: very sexist, Alan Caddick. What an assumption.
4: Well, 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 well my, my radio brain has been turned back 30 years.
1: Have you got anything else other than uh, basically and asking also, me to Google something what, for you?
4: What, uh, what other topics have we got tonight?
1: Family, where the family should always come first. Even if they're a pain in the backside.
4: Yeah. Well, my family, it's unbelievable. (laughs) Because at the moment, my mum's not been too well. No. She's got an oxygen mask on because she's got like COPD.
1: Oh, blimey, that's awful.
4: And also, and with her starting dialysis soon.
1: Oh, right, okay. Well, that's something, isn't it? That's a bit of hope that things will change.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Are you uh, all right, though, Alan? Yeah, I'm. I'm still doing the papers, and I feel like I've got the whole world in my shoulders because I've got the papers. I'm looking after me, mum, Looking after me, dad. Firstly, if I ain't got any time to myself.
1: Here's a thing I'm learning, and I forget about it every now and again. But I've just remembered it, and I'm trying to do it again. To from now on, find a little bit of joy every day. Do something just that just suits you. It doesn't have to. It's not selfish to do something just for five, ten minutes that just suits you. Choose what you fancy, Alan Caddick. I don't necessarily want to hear about it. But, you know, just do something to treat yourself.
4: Well, I have got something planned in April, because I've got my holiday all paid for.
1: Oh, yeah, where are you going? Ain'tree On holiday.
4: Going to the Grand National. Beautiful. Good luck, I say. And the night before, I should be ringing up live from Liverpool.
1: Can't wait for that. I will mark it in my calendar.
4: And, uh, and also... Have we got any more on the Birmingham Rabbit Hole Tickets?
1: The Birmingham Rabbit Hole Tickets. Uh, probably. Again, I'll have to Google it, but, um, yeah, I'll work it out for you. Uh, to Hi, Alan. Hello, John.
5: Hello, Catherine. How Hi, are Alan. you?
1: I'm all right, thank you. By the way, 03444991000 if you want to give me a ring. Thanks for calling. John, what you got?
5: No problem. I'm just ringing about the subject you've been on about for the first. Yeah. There. I think the, you know... Everybody in life, you kind of go through a stage and then you move on to a different stage, move on to a different one. And you leave people by the wayside on the way. Mm. throughout your life, not necessarily because you dislike them or anything like that. It's just you move on and you have a different circle of friends and different people who are more important to you in terms of relationships. I wouldn't feel guilt about leaving people sort of behind or anything like that and uh, you grow out of each other in certain ways with some people.
3: Yeah. I don't
5: feel the same Catherine but some of my best friends at school I've never seen since I was at school uh, there's one which is an exception, it's my first serious girlfriend and I was her first serious boyfriend so I'm in contact with her but there must be hundreds and hundreds of people who I was very close to
3: Yeah,
5: but you move on and you have your life, they have their lives, and they go a different way. And it's sad when you hear about the death in the family, or not in the family necessarily, but the death of somebody who was once your close friend. But you think, well, yeah, but that belongs in its right place at the past.
1: Yeah, I think as long as you've not got unresolved stuff. You know, there are some people... I had a friend who I fell out with for a few years, and thankfully we're, we're friends again, and it was a nagging sadness for the years when we weren't talking because I'm not the sort of person who cuts people off and uh, that's kind of the first and hopefully the last time that'll ever happen. It probably did us good in the long run but um, I knew that we needed to sort it out and I would have been heartbroken if anything would have happened to her.
5: I think it's one of those things, Catherine, I don't recollect ever cutting somebody off. I think it was just kind of drifting apart. Yeah. Drifting away. Does that make any kind of sense to you? I know
1: you? exactly what you mean. Do it's you think, not, do you th- I was going to yeah. say, do you think that's applicable to family members as well? I
5: think so because I was always of the sort of thought uh, that when it comes to a certain age, you're ready to fly the nest, to use a, a trite term. Uh, but when I got to that age, which was probably starting uni, uh, the the ties with family. Have become less; they weren't the most important people in your life
3: mm.
5: at that point in time.
3: Yeah, and
5: it's still very, very important, but they weren't the be all and end all uh, because you had other friends and uh, later on partners, that type of thing. And they are the here and now rather than sort of the way it used to be.
1: Is that the Is way that you look then? at family? Then that they they they're part of your past. Uh,
5: well. Both of my parents are dead. Right, so so for sure they are, yeah. But at the time... Don't much choice in that. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're no longer sort of like, oh, I must go home and see mum, I must go home and see dad. What you think at that point in time is, oh, I promised Keith or I promised Catherine, they'd sort of have meet them. And then a couple of years later, once you've graduated and you go to work, you've got a new set of friends, and then new set of friends, and then a partner, or that type of thing, or children, mm-hmm. uh, and they become more important. I get it. And I think it's a continual
1: journey, isn't it? I think so. I think so. You, yes. you know, sort of need, per- you've got people around you at certain points in your life, by coincidence yes. sometimes, you're just at the same place, you have to be at the same place at the same time, you know, for example, yes. at school.
5: It's the here and now, rather than sort of always reminiscing about the past. Yeah. I can do that. I can look back and think of great times I've had with different people, but that is in the past. So, But hearing now is probably more important to me than, what, was there 20 years ago or thereabouts?
1: Yeah, apart from that first girlfriend, it would seem, John. That's an interesting story I'd like to hear. Julia yeah.
5: She wouldn't want me to. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's okay. But obviously no, she's we... still
1: an important part of your life. That's, um, that's oh, really yeah. special.
5: She's a great mate. We went out together uh, for a serious boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And uh, it's a horrible story, Catherine, because I dumped her twice, bless her. I love her a bit. Uh, And she sort of has become, over the years, she still is from way back when, uh, a great friend, Mm -hmm. a great mate, and we can talk about anything and everything
1: well, that's
5: really important. My, my partner fully I, accepts that.
1: Oh, hang um, on. So, your partner she, doesn't mind?
5: No. no she, she absolutely loves Jill because she knows that there's nothing that way anymore yeah. uh, between us. We haven't said they're great friends. Uh, but she's the, the one that, because it's been consistency, that she's always been my life since we were both 17 at that point in time. Yeah. We're considerably older than that now. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of those things that we haven't lost touch uh, as such. And it's something where she is contemporary at this point in time. She's not part of the past. Right. She's part of the here and now. It's, can it make any sense to be Catherine?
1: It does. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. It's really interesting. Uh, 03444991000. That's the thing I love about this job, your stories. So keep them coming. 03444991000. I'm Catherine Boyle and you're listening to Talk Radio.
0: Late Night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio.
1: Spot the obvious mistake. It's Catherine Boyle in for Ian Lee, and uh, the the format is kind of the same. SP444, maybe with a few French kisses, if you know what I mean. 03444991000, we're talking about families and your definition of family, and whether family always should come first, whether actually uh, everyone else and everything else comes secondary to keeping those ties, those family ties, strong. I mean, there's an obvious tie-in with something that's been going on in the newspapers, but, uh, you know, and demands from family members that you pay attention to them above everyone else, and that you stay loyal to them, despite what may have or may not have gone on in your family history. 03444991000, just this idea that, you know, someone being related to you should demand a certain level of respect and loyalty, full stop, that's the beginning and the end of the argument, or whether you're the sort of person who has decided that actually for your own sanity, for your own well-being, for your own happiness, and for sometimes, for your own safety, you've had to cu- cut those ties and, and realize that maybe family, if you get a good one, it's completely by accident. 03444991000. We're going to talk to Cleo in just a second about that one, but I also wanted to share this with you. Twins. This dad has um, sparked a debate. This is in The Sun. After admitting that he deliberately separates his twins so they can form individual identities. Now, I'm the daughter of a twin and we've got twins every generation of our family. They're non-identical twins, so I think it's probably a slightly different experience from looking exactly like your brother or sister. Do you know what I mean? And Being confused for them um, and being it, it being assumed that Somehow you were exactly the same. You know, these twins, one of them's a boy and a girl, for example, but my mum and her sister didn't really look like each other. Um, And so, and they weren't dressed the same. They they didn't have to go through that whole thing. But this guy says, um, he's called Sean Steps, he's from Sydney, and he says he's keen for his son and daughter to develop individual identities and relationships. But many parents have argued he would cause his children separation anxiety in doing so. Writing for kid spot, Sean hit back at his haters. You're not doing your best by your twins by separating them. That was a comment I received, he says, on Instagram just a few short minutes after I uploaded a post celebrating our decision to separate our children once a week. Once a week? It's not like he's keeping them in different rooms and raising them, you know, like... Like a science experiment. Uh, I was shocked, embarrassed and a bit angry, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. We first decided to separate our boy-girl twins a few months before their actual birth. We'd spent a great deal of time interviewing adult twins during that pregnancy. And one of the most common frustrations we heard was that twins are often lumped together. Most twins reported that they very rarely got individual time or experiences. I would suggest that this is the same experience if you've got um, a sibling who is of a similar age. You know, sort of two, three years... Separation. Sometimes my sister's boys are about nine months apart, and so they were both babies, but both needed their mum just as much. Uh, That, and we selfishly wanted to ease the intensity of raising two tiny humans by giving ourselves a chance to parent just one child at a time, if only for a few hours, since he's really healthy. Because guess what? Parenting decisions can be made for your best interest too. But then two years flew by, and we woke up one morning realising that we'd never followed through on our brilliant plan. Damn. Our adorable boy-girl twins had quite literally never spent time apart. And maybe, just maybe, if they hadn't been showing signs of needing a break from each other, we would never have considered giving them that alone time. But they were showing signs of needing a break. My daughter was hitting more and more. My son was stealing toys. They were both competing for daddy time by throwing tantrums. And they disagreed on just about everything from dinner to movies to music. I haven't got a problem with this at all. Have you? I mean, whether they're twins or what, I think... I don't spend enough time individually with my kids and they really do appreciate it. I've got two girls and they're sort of three years apart and they both want time as an individual where they're not having to kind of compete with each other. Not even that, that they're massively competitive, but, you know, just not having to wait for their turn to speak. They appreciate a bit of one-on-one. This guy says, sure, it's a big part of the sibling experience to fight and compete for attention. But who said it wasn't part of the parenting experience to give them a break every now and then? We decided to trust our parenting instincts and give it a go. Um, And he just talks about having taken his daughter out by the cells and like going and buying Christmas pyjamas and going to see Father Christmas and all these things. I think it's brilliant. And then she knows it's her brother's turn the next time. I think it's great. The rare times I've managed to do that with my kids, they've really appreciated it, and both of them have kind of remarked on how nice it is just to be on on our own. Not that they dislike each other most of the time, but they do appreciate it. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? 0344 499 1000. Cleo, you're on. Hang on, no, you're not. me all confident there. Hang on, let's put you in there. Testing. There you are. You are very testing.
6: Testing, one, two, yes. What do you want to Fine. say, Cleo? Yeah. Well, um, two years ago on Monday, um, we created my little mum. My little mum was her bodily parts were all incinerated, yeah. but um, she still lives on.
1: Was it two years? What? I remember when it happened. It seems. Yeah,
6: man. Go and um, since then, I've, the, the families—I I've, think I've a lot of families like this when it comes to like. The shit hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. People drop things like a hat, and a there, and it's all hands on. But yeah. I think it's just like, any it's, it's like a group of mates as well. There's always like a, a sort of drift. So I don't, I don't really, they're not really a collective unit, if you know what I mean. So I don't really hope the the notion of our family as a block is is typically like friendships. You, you you sort of drift in and out. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder
1: if that, that idea of the family, the extended family, all the cousins growing up together or knowing each other at least, you know, until they're grown up, exists anymore.
6: It's, it's, uh, people, it's, uh, like people, for, uh, for hundreds of years, lived in the same village, basically.
1: Yeah, you couldn't get away from it's, each other, so you had it's, to it's get an on.
6: evolution, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> but um, when my mum died, uh, up until then, uh, if you remember, I was in the hospital. Yeah, uh, a few years before, and up until like her death, none of me family became the visitors. So basically, me mates were me, were me family really, um, because they were just getting on with stuff. And i have I've always been Mister Independent, so just thought oh, I'd be all right. Just leave him. It's, it's the very northern male, I'll oh, just leave him over. Oh, I'd be all right. Mm-hmm. They really checked in, checked in us, but since um, she did die, my brothers here every day, twice a day.
1: You're kidding me. So you see him yeah. more now. What, to to check? My
6: death for To, that, to though, check yeah. in on you, or...? Check in on me and the dog, because he, he, without him, I wouldn't have had my silly little dog as well.
1: Oh, yeah, that dog.
6: Yeah. So, at the moment, my dog's my family, my mates are my family, and my brother. The rest really don't. We are close-knit. We're literally five, ten minutes away from each other by walking distance. But we're very weird, but we're, we're, we're love, we we'll love playing in the family when there's a funeral or a a wedding or uh, whatever, any sort of celebration. But we're never really in between those celebrations we're see each other.
1: No, but I wonder whether that, that's pretty common. I live around the corner from mm. my parents and my dad's been retired for about, what, about five months now and I probably see him I see him a little bit more now, but only because we've become gym buddies.
7: Yeah. Um,
1: but that was kind of, an I, I, I realised I had to make an effort because, you know, he's got his life, I've yeah. got mine, I've got to be in certain places for the kids and organise stuff, you know, life stuff, and just being round the corner doesn't necessarily mean that you no coincide, does it? You've got to make an effort. And I think unless something happens to shake you out of the sleepwalk that everyone's in, you know, you go through your weeks and head for the weekend before you know it, the weekend's over, and then you've got to start the week again, and you know, I think unless something happens and makes you realise that this isn't going to be it forever, um, you don't make time for each other, and it's not about not loving each other.
6: Yeah. It's it's, it's a strange little sort of thing, because it plays on you, especially when you live in your own, it plays on you, your brain a lot, but then, then obviously when something bad does happen, yeah. there is like an immediate... They're like, all a, there, because a, a it's, like, it's, it's, it's like
1: someone blows a whistle and everyone knows what they're supposed to do.
6: I think it's guilt.
1: <laughs> do you think it's guilt or do you think it's just right? This is what families do. I know this one.
6: I think in the mo- modern modern life it is, but I remember stories. I, I always I always wished to live like when my mum was young, because her like families back then were literally ten in a bed. <laughs> <Do> you know <laughs> what I mean? It was like <laughs> there was loads of them and they were all crammed together and they all they lived on top of each other. So that sort of. I think we grew up with this sort of, like, notion of, oh, back in the day, families were this, that and the other. And really, are that?
1: Oh, they were still driving each other nuts. They just couldn't get away yeah, from each other.
6: Totally. But there's a... There's a curious thing. When she paved it, it was on the... I, I, I shouldn't say paved it, but it's just the way we talk. Mm-hmm. When she died, um was on the day before New Year's Eve. And... She was in the very next unit, like the the next bed, to where I was three years earlier when I when I picked it. Mm, blimey! So, but it was it was quite surreal because she'd been ill for years. Every winter she she took real ill really bad, 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 bad. But it was surreal because I, in there I was recognising nurses and I had nurses hugging us and kissing. Us, oh, hey! And I was like it was a weird experience because I was obviously distraught because my mum was on her way out.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: But I met these people who, three years before, had saved us.
3: Yeah.
6: Wiped me backside. You was <laughs> inside out and, like, put up with me nonsense and, <laughs> and uh, squatted on me bed to watch TV programmes and me telly and stuff. Yeah, yeah
1: these are people who'd read your washing instructions.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just But it was so surreal because once I explained why I was there... yeah. It was like, oh, so the they turned out beautifully and stuff, and the whole family was there. The the, the people, she, like a lot of people, she, she was like, oh, I want to die peacefully without anybody there in any sleep. Hmm. No fuss, no bother. But everybody turned out. The whole room was packed. Of course they did. And it was.
1: They're kind of doing it for each other, aren't they, more
6: than for, for yeah. the person? Yeah. And it was lovely. It wasn't... I didn't shed a tear.
3: Really?
6: Um... Part of it was because me in the family, I'm the, the gobshite. I'm the one who makes everybody laugh and stuff. So part of it was like, right, I must entertain people. Yeah,
1: but at the same time, Cleo, this is what happens afterwards, isn't it? That suddenly you're left alone and the entertainment thing is out of the way and you've got to deal exactly. with stuff. You can't outrun it.
6: Exactly. So, so last year, like the year afterwards, so last year, not this year, Um, bad. Yeah. That was really bad. That's what. I dropped calls for this. I stopped ringing in. Yeah. Um, but listening to this stuff all that time, I don't like ringing in to blow smoke with your asses because I know you just get enough of that. And I stopped smoking. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I, it's just listening and listening to other people's experiences.
3: Yeah.
6: And um, being honest and open. is... It's got us through. And having the dog, oddly enough.
1: Isn't it funny about sometimes in your life, you have to stop doing things that you really loved before because it's too painful. I'm going to say it, painful. There was a period in my life when there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, a lot of stuff going on. Private stuff and, you know, my um, mother-in-law was dying of cancer and Mm. it was just too much. And if I was left alone with my thoughts, I was... maybe it's a northern thing but also probably it's it's just a me thing is that i try and be that person who helps everyone else out and i try and and try and see that everyone else has got it worse than me and i'll be fine i'll be fine that is something i say to myself a lot and sometimes i need to um stop that and appreciate that what i'm going through is something i'm gonna have to go through and 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 it's and it's not going to be fine for a while and that's all right you know what i mean
6: I don't yeah, want to like, worry anyone but I remember balancing whether you, you want to be stoic all the time yeah. or
1: and you don't want people to ask you who you how you are because you're frightened you'll tell them that's another thing that I was going through and I remember for that time and it was probably about six months I couldn't listen to music I couldn't listen yeah. to it because every song yeah. was like pressing that pressing that yeah. button that was going to release everything yeah um, I'm happy to say I'm through that now but it's a strange sensation it's,
6: it's, it's there's still certain things, just people mentioning certain things will come up and I'll be, oh, Christ, that'll set us off. But yeah. um, I've been technically uh, nine months as of uh, Tuesday coming, free of, like, full-on depression. Oh, good. Yeah, so I'm feeling a lot better. And how have you been managing um, it? I've dropped in the meds. I've dropped the meds. It's basically, it's having the dog, it sounds really cheesy. No, whatever works. And everyone goes, oh, the record send what it is, because he's just, he's mental. So it's not a distraction from anything else. And I often think, oh, mother, my mother mother would have eaten him up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's just weird little things. So I, this little daft dog gets his But, um, one of the, oddly, one of the, the biggest things I miss is there are to tell me about people who died who I didn't know.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've had that one or people whose marriages are broken up who it turns out are not my friends they're probably my sisters or maybe someone someone she works with but yeah. you come to the point where you just listen to the story because you're saying you suggesting you don't know who they're talking about just get some riled up let them tell them the story
6: well, we've got an immense family and they're all in the same town basically right. good, I think so you'd get the, oh hard member remember old David? no you no know, he had uh, brown hair no yeah, Andy, Andy Hazel's son like, I don't even know oh. who Andy Hazel is. And then
1: it would Wait turn up. out two days later, it wasn't, his name wasn't David, it was fucking <laughs> Tom or something.
6: <laughs> but she used relish really, that. It's like, Mum, why, why are you ringing us to tell us about people who've died?
1: Because it wasn't about that, it was about talking to you.
6: Exactly, exactly. Okay. But, um, alright, uh, so families are up that they're, they're, they're like any sort of, sort of group of friends, that they're like amorphous, so it's not really a, you have individual relationships, but there's, there's not like a, I've got my, to me, my family are the family I interact with. Yeah. Oddly, they're TLA a lot, because a lot of the listeners, and you'll know who you are when you listen to this, have been right behind us the last couple of uh, uh, DMs and stuff.
3: Yeah.
6: And your mates, really. The whole notion of, like, oh, the family must run round sort of, like, doesn't really buy it.
1: No. And is it fair yeah. to expect that these days? I wonder not these days. Anyway, lovely to speak to you, Cleo. I've got to move on because I've got Alistair hanging on. But um Taffy, bye. Hey, I'm glad things are looking up for you. Why I? Marvelous. 3444991000. <laughs> so we're with Alistair. Hey, Alistair.
8: Hi, Catherine.
1: Hey, what's going on?
8: Uh, first of all, um is your bathroom any better?
1: Uh, <laughs> I am still not the owner of anything other than a sink and a toilet downstairs, but thankfully I can go over. To, this is where family comes in, very handy. They've got a shower that I can use, um, but yeah, the, they came today and they uh, the builders came today and they came. Um, I woke up to the sound of strange men's voices on the landing, which is something I can't tell you every single day. But they did the job; it was great.
8: <laughs> oh well, I hope it's all resolved soon. I didn't tell you about the first.
1: Yeah, and I didn't tell you about the first lot, did I? That we got ghosted. What? Yeah, we got ghosted. This couple came round, and she was the designer, and he was the doer. And they came round, they seemed really nice, and made a big fuss of the cat, um, uh, and they had plans, and they told us which bits and bobs to get, and said they could come back at the beginning of December and just give give them a shout when we were ready. We did. Nothing. We tried again, nothing. We went round the house, empty. Well, there was one light on, but we think it might have been a timer. So I don't know what's happened... But it's a really weird one because it's not a a rip-off because they didn't get any money. But we just had, like, a whole bathroom in our garage for a lot longer than we expected to. It's just such a strange thing.
8: Maybe the surveillance, you and others, just say what, was nickable?
1: Well, well, they will have seen that we already look like we've been burgled, honestly, when you've got (laughs) that many people in such a small place. Um, But Ian reckons they might have been perverts who like um, making people buy bathroom furniture. (laughs) 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 They like knowing what your toilet looks like. Well, that's Ian's mind for you.
8: (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, um, families. Yeah, go on. Um, Right, well, first of all, thanks for putting this question because I think think it's dead important. Um, Right, so my family um, really, um, for many, many years, was a bit of a mess um, because... um, I mean I'm coming from this I'm coming to this subject you know um you know you grow up in a family and if you have like bad experiences yeah that may lead to individual problems for you yeah so a lot of what happened in my family I having had the chance now to look back on it, um in 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 a, in a you know, in a sober manner if you like Um, I can see some of those things that happened in the family contributed in part to my drinking. Right. Um, So for me, as an example, um, my eldest brother was, um, uh, how can I say, he he was a a, a control freak. And he had to be king of the castle all the time in the family. And he caused so many arguments with... um, my middle the middle brother who was he was older me and then the power control man was he was the oldest and um relationships were always fraught and the atmosphere was always tense i was always walking on eggshells Mm -hmm. and sort of sat in the corner trying to hide so it was weird yeah um so it's kind of, um, and, and my goodness, we, we see um, so much in, in the news and on TV programs about people of have, have sunken to drug addiction and other things, possibly because of, uh, of, the, of the family being being dysfunctional.
9: Well,
1: it's interesting you're talking about that, a sort of very controlling family member and how yes. and you think it, it sort of contributed to the way you ended up
8: when yeah. we were talking I mean, there are other things as well but... yeah
1: oh, there always are but talking to katie yesterday talking about being with a controlling partner and sort of oh yes the yeah. sort of drugs and it's coping isn't it it's um
8: yeah
1: it's taking yourself out of a situation that never seems to stop
8: yeah um self-medicating yeah absolutely. um now um as a result of those kind of early experiences. Surprise, surprise, now, uh, I mean, my mum and dad have both passed away. Um, my two brothers, they live elsewhere in the country.
3: Right.
8: And we we don't have, um, well, we, we don't really have close relationships. They keep in contact and occasionally visit. And, you know, we, we just, we are kind of on the face of it, friends, but we're not close. Right. And
1: well, you found a way to... To cope with it, but yeah. but not put too much pressure on that relationship, because you know you can't.
8: That's right. I mean, when I was, after my father died in 2014, I looked, well, I say I looked after him for three years. I lived with him, but, um, you know, I'd have a, I mean, separately, it's as a side thing. I felt guilt about that, because I was drinking through that period as well, yeah. as he was. Yeah. But, um after my father's death, um, I built up again while I was drinking through, through that lens. I built up resentments about my brothers, who never really contacted me properly for a couple of years. Right. So it was kind of, you know, um, I mean, we had the occasional phone call, but that was about it, really. Um,
1: do you think it was fair? Now- that, do you think it's fair that resentment, or do you think it was a build-up of things?
8: It was a build of of things, and all, you know, I recognise that it takes two to tango. So, um now that I've been sober, both brothers have visited me.
1: Gosh, and what was that
2: like?
8: Well, it was fine, really, because um, we kind of learnt to, especially when, uh, you know, we all got together back at my mum and dad's, we, we all knew how to, you know, curb all that nonsense and, and just behave... Well and I suppose that's what we did when they came up I did when they came up yeah. and uh, um,
1: I suppose if you're, I mean, if, if you're sober you're more in control of yourself you can see the niggles coming over the horizon yeah. and give them a swerve before you because sometimes yeah. you know if you've had a few you're in it yeah. before you realize it's it's happening
8: yeah and i I go back into my uh, passive mode oh do you that makes sense since just Get on with them, which is fine. I can do that for. I mean, literally their visits last half a day, and they're gone. So, you know, why cause an issue, really?
3: Yeah,
1: you don't feel like you'll ever sort of have it out with them. Um,
8: not really. I mean, I had a very drunken conversation with one of my brothers who. Certain issues had come about, but it obviously was not helpful because I was drunk.
1: Yeah, not the right time. And And uh, also, that you can dismiss it the next morning and it's, oh, well, you'd add a few.
8: Yeah, absolutely. But um, I think that um, it's such an important thing, isn't it? I mean, families can be so complex, do you not find? Yeah,
1: definitely. But I think that's part of, if you are going to keep it together, I mean, what that description means, I don't know. I think if you are going to coexist, I think is probably more the yeah. thing. It's appreciating that everyone is different. So you've got different quirks and different hang-ups, and everyone has. Everyone has, um, and that there are certain things maybe you should avoid talking about because you know how it'll go. And that's yeah. not. That's not. That's
8: um, well, normal, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I don't, and I don't think that's being cowardly. I think that's just. Um, respecting your differences, I think that's probably part yes. of it. I'm assuming, you know, you're not coming from a family where it's not safe to be around, and that's a completely different no, question. Not really. But, you know, there's always frictions in families. I love my family, but I know there are certain things that set me mum off and set me sister off and stuff and that get on her nerves, that get on, get on their nerves that I do, and, and vice versa, just try and keep a lid on it.
8: hmm they, good... they don't
1: need to know it because they can't change it.
8: That's it. Um... So most of the time now, um, as you said, I think um, you mentioned it in your introduction. My family now is AA and um, certain friends I'm still in touch with. Mm -hmm. And I'll hold my two brothers as kind of there, but kind of more distant. But they're always welcome. For either of contact or to visit.
3: Yeah.
8: Um, I, I I myself have to admit that I've not been down to see them for a while also. So it's. Uh,
1: Do you fancy that?
8: Um. Yes and no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it will be an, an achievement, I guess, won't it?
8: It'll be a challenge. <laughs> <I should set. laughs> there is a good book, by the way, for Kath about this called Families and How to Survive Them. Yeah. By John Cleese and Robin Skinner.
1: John Cleese? Uh, the most diplomatic yeah. man on the planet?
8: Well, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's written in with a certain sense of humour within it. But yeah. it, Robin Skinner is a very... He was a respected uh, psychologist in the 70s. Right. And, uh, and uh, it's quite a good good, good read. I might have a look at
1: that. I might have a look at that. I've kind of... At the moment, I'm dealing with a lot of sort of pre-teenage stuff with my daughter and her friendship group. She's got a couple of friends who basically are a pain in the backside and they take great delight. And I get that I'm only hearing her side of the story and everyone filters. The story you tell your mum is not necessarily the story that I would see with my own eyes, you know what I mean, if I was disguised as a bush or something. But, you know, the kid is coming home upset from school and these kids are having a dig at And Oh,
8: no.
1: And I'm having to tell her that some people you just don't get on with. And that's yeah. cool. That doesn't mean you have to hate them. That doesn't I mean you have to be aggressive towards them. It's just some people, the combination is not right. And it's something that she's going to have to work out for herself. But it's a lesson, hard, hard one, isn't it? That one, where yeah. you just go, Do you know what? We're just never going to be best mates. We can probably, you know, not hate each other's guts and be civil and all that stuff. But this is pointless, trying to yeah. you know, to be anything she, more.
8: She, she got friends, though, at school? She seems to be... That she so, can rely on.
1: Well, yeah, but I, it, the frustrating thing is that she keeps kind of, I don't know, giving them the chance to have another dig, if you know what I mean. So she'll give them another chance and then, or she'll ask okay. them for a favour, or the, there's a, there'll be something. And I'll say, just yeah. don't, just don't, because it's not going to change. But she, she's yeah. got to learn it herself, and that's the terrible thing. Is, um, as a parent. And also, some, I went through the same thing. It's bloody girls. I don't know what it is.
8: I was going to say, as a mother, it must be a worrying time. Yeah. Because you want, clearly you want the best for your kids. Yeah. The, the best experience they can have at school. But it's
1: also allowing them to experience life, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh... yeah.
8: I mean, when I was sent to boarding school, I was uh, left on my own. Quite a lot, because I never really, just what happened in the family, I continued that at boarding school, I kind of stood back, and I didn't, I didn't engage, and as a result they then turned against me anyway, and of course other things happened, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's...
1: Uh, Do you know, I've heard hard, that a couple of times, that. a couple of people I know who went to boarding school said that you kind of learn to be a chameleon, you learn to be whatever is yeah. the least offensive to the most people, but you kind of lose track of who you are sometimes...
8: That's it, yeah, that's it. And I literally tried to be a mouse, do you know what I mean? Not not to be noticed, and unfortunately that continued for the rest of my life until I got sober.
1: Yeah. And Honestly, now. the change in you, Alistair, has been amazing, and you, um, you impress me every every day.
8: Well, the thing is, I just wanted to say as well that both you and Ian, with your encouragement, and also... I've had a few messages from other listeners' support, and it's been absolutely marvellous.
1: Well, you're a champ. Thanks very much for um, keeping us kind of abreast of what's been going on with you, Alistair. It's really um, it's really appreciated, and it's also important because you know what it's like. There'll be someone listening who's in the middle of it who thinks yeah. it's not possible to stop, and you're kind of giving them the chance to see that there's an alternative.
8: Yeah, and even if you're in the worst possible situation, um, in terms of your own circumstances out there there is a there is a way out and um, things can improve and uh, you should always try and keep that in reserve and uh, try and seek some help and uh, the help is usually there
1: Thanks very much Alistair
8: You're very welcome and well I shall see you in April in Birmingham Catherine
1: Brilliant I look out for you thanks very much Alistair there 03444991000 that's a really special thing about this programme and the thing I'm Possibly most proud of the fact that you kind of all help each other out, whether it's, you know, literally with Twitter or whatever, you know, the connections that are made there. But sometimes just by sharing your experiences. If you want to give us a shout, we're on oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand.
0: Late night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio. In New York City today, and this is
10: about four tablespoons of that, and you beat. <laughs>
7: you in the end because they couldn't take the pattern and i'll see you baby when the clans rise again women and men united by a struggle going down you go walk into the water with your sister and your daughter in this free world if i were your shades could i share your point of view could i make you feel better paint a picture right Close of
1: in Boyle, that was Kirsty McCall. We're going to speak to Jessie in a second, but just to keep you up to date with what we've been talking about, not that it matters, you can talk about whatever you want on 03444991000, but families, like there's been a lot of talk in the media recently about the loyalty you owe to your family members, the people that you share your DNA with, whether there is some sort of duty that should keep you um, respectful of them, regardless of what the family history is. I mean, we kind of all know that isn't true, don't we? Oh, 3444991000 four, and the complications of being a good daughter or a good son or a good brother or a good sister and sometimes you have to accept that you just don't get on don't you in in the sake for the sake of peace for the sake of your own sanity sometimes for the sake of your safety you have to remove yourself that's got to be a bloody hard decision I want your stories, 03444991000. But we've also got other stuff, like, for example, the guy who um, wanted to make sure that his twins had time with his wife and time with him as individuals at certain points. That's really important, isn't it? Think about the... Again, it's about kind of sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry is natural, right? It's about survival. It's about the person that gets the attention, gets the food. If you think about, you know, what it would have been like when we were cave dwellers, the kid that shouted loud enough is the one that got fed more, the one that muscled the other one out of the way. And it's not that the kid was particularly selfish. It's kind of animal instinct. So to be taken out by your mum or dad, just one-on-one every now and again, that's got to be something, that's got to be healthy, hasn't it? Whether you're a twin or not. There's so many of us that kind of missed out on that time, and it makes a big difference. It certainly made a difference to my kids. I've also got this one, because I bear in mind that we don't just want to do the heavy stuff, right? And the heavy stuff is fine by me. I can, you know, I can turn this show on a, on, a, on a penny if that's what's necessary. Don't you worry about that, so give me a shout about whatever. But this one, Exorcist's wife almost killed after being attacked by demon from a Ouija board. I think we'll save that one for a bit later on, but that one is definitely a possibility. This is a real-life spooky one, though. Paul Davis. Have you got one of these smart doorbells? Because I've thought about these, especially as a night worker. It'd be quite nice to be able to tell people to bugger off while still lying in bed, do you know what I mean? Or just to stick it in the shed or whatever. The parcel. But this guy... Um, I guess he's kind of regretting buying this. A s- smart doorbell and an account with amazon Own Ring went from being a nifty feature for Paul Davis to bringing chilling and disturbing voices into his family home and threats to his children. Right, I would normally do spooky music, but I think this is a bloody serious one. A dad was disturbed to receive a chilling phone call from a stranger telling him that his family being watched inside their home after their smart doorbell was hacked. Paul Davis began hearing disturbing voices in his house before a man began phoning him saying i'm waiting for you outside and charmingly i want to batter you Paul who had three young children in the house became terrified when the mysterious voice began mentioning a 3-year-old Alfie 6-year-old Florrie and 5-year-old Eva and asked can i look at your kids all right okay i mean uh, that's that's awful Now the dad is warning others that the cutting-edge technology, which includes a doorbell camera linked to your mobile phone allowing you to view your front door when you're not there, can go awry and allow creepy hackers to terrify your family. Paul, 38, told Wales Online how he first knew something was up when he received an email telling him someone had logged into his account with Ring, which is a home security and smart home company owned by Amazon. Um, The Port Talbot man said the first call came within hours. Bloody hell, this is awful. A stranger began calling, saying he was watching them inside their house. Mr Davis explains, we were in the house, the kids had just gone to bed and I had an email around 6.40pm off the Ring website to say there was a login from a different web address. I just assumed it was fraudulent, the email, so I ignored it. About 20 minutes later, I said I could hear voices. My wife, Leanne, said it was probably my son's toy coming through the baby monitor, but they were coming from outside. I had a look and there was nobody out there. Paul said his phone started ringing about 8.30 p.m. but there was no caller ID and a man's voice asked, is that Paul, when he answered.
2: Bloody hell.
1: He was being friendly at first. This is the worst ones, right? When people are friendly at first, I mean, everything else aside, when they they start out nice. He was being friendly at first, asking me to come out the front saying, I'm waiting for you outside. Oh my God. I looked outside uh, the window and I couldn't see anyone there. I asked him, who are you? And he said, it doesn't matter. Come outside. I mean, at this point, the phone goes down, doesn't it? And you call the police. It was at this point that the man's voice became threatening. Then he said, I want to batter you. And said, if you don't come outside, I'm going to steal your car, said Paul. Chillingly, the mysterious creep knew the family's car was white and asked Paul to go to the front door to pass him the keys. Paul said I told him I wasn't going to come outside and hung up. My wife was quite worried and looking outside the window with me, but we couldn't see anyone. I didn't want to go outside and leave the house unlocked with the three children in the house and my wife. Oh, my God. But it was the next call, as if that wasn't bad enough. Do we read this out? It was the next call that made Paul shudder. He rang me straight back and said, ''Why won't you come outside?'' And I told him the kids were in bed, and then he started asking, ''Can I look at your kids?'' I was concerned I'd upset someone and they were outside my house. To go to the bother to get someone's phone number and ring them, I thought they had to have a big grudge. I wasn't sure if someone was watching the house pretending they were on my drive and if they were, how far they'd want to take it. They did no harm, but when they asked to see my kids, you think there are some twisted people out there. You can also get internal cameras, so I'm just thankful we don't have those. Uh, Eventually, Paul and wife Leanne had a light bulb moment. The anonymous hacker was reading off details from their ring account. Paul said, during the phone call, the man said my street address, but got the house number wrong. It was the number that the doorbell was registered to. We put in the number of another house in the street because Ring didn't pick up our actual house number. So with that and the email, we started to piece things together. Um, I got the Ring app up on my phone. Anytime someone live views you, you can see, and the account had been live viewed about four or five times in under 20 minutes, the doorbell camera is triggered by emotion and and records footage which can then be viewed at a later time and it was a piece of information the caller revealed that showed what they may have been able to view. Oh god all right they're talking about what what he's wearing and stuff. Let's pan down because I think we all need to be reassured right Paul eventually phoned the police They made a log of it and saw that there was a data breach back in December where people's data was stolen, Paul added. Since then, it seems Ring has brought in a two-step sign-in authentication which I've now activated and I've changed all my passwords on everything. A spokesperson for South Wales Police said, we received report of an incident of suspicious phone calls and a doorbell camera being hacked in Tybach on January 19th, about 9.30pm. We're carrying out inquiries and reminding people to be aware of what steps they can take to protect themselves online. Lots of advice can be found at getsafeonline.org. Paul also spoke with Ring and the company promised they're investigating after the chilling ordeal. Uh, Ring say, while our investigation is ongoing, we do not have any evidence that this incident is related to a breach or compromise of Ring's system or network. It is not uncommon for bad actors, and I think they mean people that do bad things rather than, you know, hams, "uh, to harvest data from other companies' data breaches and create lists like that so that other bad actors can attempt to gain access to other services. Flipping it. Best practices can be found on the Ring website. Blimey, that's worth knowing, isn't it? I mean, as long as you follow the security advice, it's probably quite a nifty thing still, but all the same. Blimey. Hello, Jessie. Hello, Catherine. Hey, thanks for giving
9: us a ring. What can we do for you? A couple of things. Go on. I hope, because I listen all the time, I hope Katie's still listening. I'm sure she is. Pardon? I'm sure she is. Because as you're aware, I've been through awful domestic violence too. Mm-hmm. I know. And I just want to send hugs to her, and also just a bit extra to what you were saying about refuge. Yes, go on. Because you can, wherever you live in the UK, you can. It's actually public, so you can and you can get it easily. Google. The local women's aid office. Yeah, and they can, they can give you well, they can help you get in the refuge, but you don't need that. You can get outreach service. I think that's what she could do with because
1: she's all right yeah. now. You know, they they're separated yeah, and that's what I thought. What but I, I think said, she just needs help dealing with how she. Well. I was going to say, Jessie, I think she just needs help dealing with how she feels and how she carries on now. Because, yeah. horrible as it is, she's sort of got got used to that relationship.
9: It's awful, isn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, I bet.
9: Also, they have groups, survivor groups. Oh, that sounds
1: can. that sounds just the job.
9: So that would really help her. I hope she's listening. I hope so. Oh, I'll tell her uh, next time she rings up. Women's aid. You know, also, yeah. Also, can I think up another subject? Of course you can. That you haven't, but it's close to my heart, as you know. Go on. think of my domestic violence. You know, the uh, new Jack's law. Remind me. It's only been mentioned today. Yeah. Uh, they're giving mums uh, minimum two weeks paid leave after bereavement. Right. Of losing a child under 18. Two weeks paid bereavement leave. Minimum. Yeah.
1: I think. That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, two weeks, you're not going to be sorted but after two, two weeks, weeks, but it gives you something, doesn't it?
9: It never goes away. No. No. Like, some employers don't treat people right and they don't. They get unpaid, that's why they've been brought that in. Yeah. It's a mum that lost a wee boy. Yeah, poor love. Yeah. Anyway, how are you keeping these days, Jessie? Okay, thanks. Good. My my cat keeps me going. Your cat. My cat's called Angel. Oh yeah, of course I know you Another call. It. Of my wee yeah, baby, yeah.
1: Isn't it funny how animals can help, even though you can't? They really, can't talk yeah. back. Maybe sometimes because they can't because they can't talk back.
9: Yeah, really helps, and he loves. Uh, my cat loves listening to your show. <laughs> how do you know
1: my cat has always got a flipping miserable face on
9: <laughs> he always sits on the radio <laughs> like
1: the oh well that's nice thanks very much for letting us know that Jessie. yeah T-
3: thank
1: you Catherine. hey thank you and i'll, I'll remember yeah. to tell katie about that women's aid thing i think that could be really useful yeah all right take care of yourself Jessie. thanks for ringing hello liam
11: oh hey kath how's it going
1: i'm all right how are you keeping liam
11: yeah pretty good thank you yeah. Um my friend Mika's here. Um he came to, when, when you did your show in Brighton. He came along with me. Oh,
1: I remember him.
11: Yeah, he, oh yeah, Do you? yeah. He was uh, quite vocal, and <laughs> lovely, wasn't he? He
1: had a lovely time. Yeah.
11: Uh so um yeah, I just uh, I told him he didn't believe me, that I could that I could speak to you, and I, um, I'm p- proving him wrong. Good. You show him. Are yeah. you,
1: how are you doing, Liam? Yeah, all right. All right. Mm. That doesn't sound massively convincing.
11: Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. i medium. I'm okay. It's okay. Yeah. That,
1: sometimes okay? that'll do. Yeah, I am. I am.
11: What about Ian? What What's Ian up to? He's having a couple,
1: he's having a couple of days off, because it's been bloody tough and stressful recently, and so...
11: Yeah, I can it, imagine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, send him my best wishes. Of course I will. He's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, look, I, I, I always phone into your station and I never have anything to say. it's, 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 it's just nice to speak to you.
1: So. Oh, thanks, yeah. Liam. Well, it was nice to hear from you. Give us a shout whenever you feel like, all right?
11: Yeah, no worries. God bless.
1: And hello to Mika the disbeliever 03444991000 is the number to ring if you fancy a chat we can talk about the kind of complication that comes along with being a family member how sometimes it's impossible to be that person that they expect you to be and sometimes DNA is not the only thing that keeps you together 03444991000 sometimes you just got you got to cut loose for your own sanity and sometimes your own safety but sometimes you land on your feet and you find something that is I don't know healthier than your family, you find a, a, a choose a family, you f- surround yourself with people who, who do something for you that they can't, do you know what I mean? And is it fair to expect people to um, be absolutely perfect just because you grew up with them? It's not really, is it? Mind you, I don't think most of us are expecting perfection. Just all right would be great, wouldn't it? 03444991000, give me a shout. You can talk about that. We can talk about flipping ring doorbells if you want to. Um, We can talk about... What else have we had? Oh, I've not told you about The Exorcist's Wife. I'll tell you about that in a bit.
0: Late Night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio.
1: Except it's not, it's me, it's Catherine Boyle. I'm usually here with Ian, but uh, we're a man down. It's all right, you'll be back on Monday, 0344 We're talking about the complications of being part of a family and whether families got to come first at all times and whether it's possible to do that, really. Um, no one's from a perfect family, are they? Oh three four 499 uh, We're also talking about... Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about... Can someone explain to me what this lip thing is, right? Because I've noticed that um, some, they're not even surgeries, some beauticians are offering like an Insta face. Have you seen this? Where well, they'll do your eyebrows, those nice big thick eyebrows. I'm all about, I, I like thick eyebrows. I've, you know, I, I like a pair of thick eyebrows. I was always warned never to pluck them too thin because they won't grow back. My mum had those sort of 70s eyebrows that looked like paisley, you know, like a, like a tadpole. I was always warned, don't do that. So, thick eyebrows they'll give you, fillers. I mean, and we're talking about women in their early 20s, before things have started to go south or fall off, they're doing these things, and great big lips. But the thing is, because these things are quite pricey, there are companies on social media, Instagram, Facebook, that will send you the equipment to do these procedures on yourself. Now, I know, it sounds like a terrible idea, but I also know what it was like when I was in my 20s and um, hard up. I might well have... I'd like to think I wouldn't, but I was as daft as everyone else. I'd like to think I wouldn't have done it, but, you know, I end up with these great... Have a look online, honestly. um, Some of these girls are ending up with, and boys, are ending up with great bit Do you remember Ivy Tilsley when she did her lips... And everyone was supposed to not have noticed that this, you know, long-running character in Coronation Street had had quite a remarkable makeover. Some women are coming out looking like that, like a, like a character from The Simpsons, or, or, or more like one of those fish that sticks on the side of a fish tank, you know, <laughs> one of those. I mean, it's not a natural look. It's not a natural look at all, but I think it's something that we're getting used to seeing more and more, and maybe it's something... I'm hoping what it's going to do is... Do you remember when people started getting obvious boob jobs in the 90s where they looked like two barm cakes stuck on, like a, on an ironing board, when they could see the roundy bit at the top as well as at the bottom? I'm hoping that what's going to happen with this is that we'll all realise it's a daft look and move on and maybe embrace something a bit more natural. But that's because I'm an old fart. I am going to have to stop my daughters at some point, aren't I, from, um, quote-unquote, enhancing themselves. Unless something very radical changes in the next 10 years or so. Oh, 03444991000. Four, if you fancy getting something done, I'd love to talk to you. Or if you've had something done, is it possible to get this these procedures done with your lips, for example, where you don't look like you've been punched in the kisser? Oh, 03444991000. Four, um, and also, because it's getting a little bit dark, and I don't mind that, it's my job to navigate the waterways of conversation with you tonight but be, rather than being completely dark all the time we were talking a bit at the start of the program about looking for the joy in life because it's that time of year where everything's a little bit depressing We've got christmas has been and gone and we're back in the swing of things what are you looking forward to let's have a talk about that what's the next thing you're really looking forward to i'd love to hear those stories 0344 499 1000 first though let's have a quick word with andrew hey andrew hi catherine hey what's going on
12: Ah, not much. I, I need to see I was pissed myself uh, from there when he <laughs> the boob jobs with the roundy bits at the bottom.
1: <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about, though, I don't know, you?
12: Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> They're not the most attractive.
1: No, but for a while, yeah, it, I mean, that was I that know. was what they were supposed to look like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. The Mitchell brothers peeping out the top of your... Uh,
12: Exactly. Anyway, go yeah. on, Andrew.
1: You've not come here to talk filth.
12: Aye, no, I was just... I was just... Uh, you from You were talking the family Yeah. Thing. My family's awfully fractured. Really? I've got a brother that's disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. He was a golden boy. he was My mum didn't him. And being the sister of the disagreements, it's... Families
1: are funny things, aren't they? They are very funny things. But so, is, have you always been that sort of family that are, that are rowed, or did something
12: particular happen? You see, it's
9: bizarre.
12: It's just, it's just a strange thing. Yeah. I've got, I've got You know, sort two brothers and my sister.
3: Mm-hmm.
12: And my sister this talk to me anymore. That I one of the brothers had disappeared but me and the other brother are just cause Steve's, you know what I mean? It's,
1: yeah.
12: it's a funny thing to Do you
1: think do you think you're better off this way? Rather than trying to make it you know, happy families?
9: No, I've tried.
1: I've yeah. tried. I've tried. To you just don't get on.
12: I've been in contact, but I went to my sister's a couple of months ago and cold-called her at the door.
1: Sorry, what was that? You are a bit muffled. Tell me again. Uh,
12: sorry, I went, I went to my sister's the other month, just e- cold-called her at the door.
1: Yeah, what happened? And it,
12: it went well. But then she texted me after I'd left, going, don't ever turn up at my door again.
1: Oh, really? That's weird.
12: Oh, that's weird. That is weird. That is
1: weird. What's going on there, do you think?
12: No idea. No idea. You say that. Uh, I and uh, you were saying the earlier as well about cousins and things. Oh, yeah, I go and be with my cousins and my actual
1: siblings. Do you think maybe because there's less less pressure to get on?
12: Probably a bit more uh, space. Ah, uh, I could be. It could be indeed.
1: It's Just the way it goes. Sometimes I wonder. You don't seem are you. I mean, how do you feel about it? You don't seem massively bothered.
12: No, it really does make me sad.
3: Yeah. As
12: I say, especially the other brother that's not been touched. I mean, my father passed away. And he's no get any idea because none of us know where he is.
1: God. What What happened yeah. with him then? What Did he... Did
12: he tell you he was cutting himself? No. Was it obvious that he wasn't? No, he was. He was. Oh God, how do I explain this? As I say, he was the golden boy. He was my mum's my favourite. And then, all of a sudden, he just upped and went, and never, never get in touch. As I say, doesn't he doesn't even. He doesn't even know that his dad's passed away.
1: Gosh, he'll have reasons, won't he?
12: Fuck! Oh, it was always a bit of <laughs> an that. that radio.
1: That's probably the limit yeah, of what we can say on I the radio. Don't. But I know what you mean.
12: He used to. Yeah, it was a bit of a bully. As
1: oh, well. really? But your sister—you think there might be hope there? But what? What? What was the thing? <sighs>
12: We're still
11: in contact,
1: but I... oh, I don't know. Can I make a suggestion? Because obviously, she doesn't like being confronted on the doorstep, and she and maybe the reaction you got wasn't entirely real. And it was only afterwards that you got the real reaction. And that must have uh, bl- hurt. By the way, that's that's horrible. What about if you were to write her a letter and, st- and put everything in it? Not no, nothing, nothing aggressive or angry or anything like that. But just telling her. How you feel about her not being so much in your life anymore, and then you leave the ball in her court there, but you've said it.
12: No, that's with that's, that, that's that's good. As I say, I do, my son. She was she was my best pal growing up.
1: Tell her, tell her, because the worst thing that can happen is it stays the same as it is. No. Andrew, you're a nice fella, I can tell.
12: Oh, I can't get my faults, but I'm really the worst.
1: No, exactly. Write them down. Write them down. And if you... I don't know if you've got someone who could just read it through to make sure there's nothing in there that could cause offence or anything like that. But then just stick it through the letterbox and see what happens. And then at least you've tried.
12: Aye, that's... Uh,
1: I'll do that. And do you know what? Even if you just write it and don't send it, it's probably worth just getting it out on a page anyway. No. Good luck, Andrew. Right. Thanks. Ta- take care of yourself, thanks. and thanks for ringing. I really do appreciate it. 0344 499 1000. Hello, Damien. Hi. Hey, thanks for hanging on. What have you got?
13: I'm going to lighten things up a bit for go- you.
1: Go on. Go on.
13: And family as well. Two in one. Um... I was given up for adoption in 1973 and I just met my biological uh, mum and sister. Wow. Before Christmas. And I just feel, I I was just listening to Andrew and my heart goes out to him because I've had two wonderful families now that have been... (laughs) rooting for me for all these years 47 years
1: right so you met your mum, and she and she was up because you hear these horror stories don't you and everyone's got expectations and mm-hmm. and it's very easy to be disappointed because you know lives go in different directions so tell me as much as you can about how it came about damien i'm really interested
13: it came about just before christmas when i was buying some presents i bought a dna test for my parents dog
1: <laughs> whoa hang on a minute for the, on. for the dog?
13: Um, yeah, for the dog. And I was talking to my The heart, dog's been having you know. an
1: existential crisis, doesn't
13: know who he is no, anymore. He's fine. He's <laughs> fine. You know, um, we just wanted to know what breed he was. You know, he's a bit of a, a mongrel.
3: Yeah.
13: And I said, I'd love to do this about, for me, you know, where I come from, because I've always known I was adopted. And um, I said, oh, it'd probably be cheaper to just find my biological family, wouldn't it, rather than, you know, do a human DNA test. And no sooner had I said that, my other half went out, and in that time, in about half an hour, I went on Facebook. I already knew my biological sister's name.
1: Alright, how did you find that out?
13: That was from um, the adoption agency. Okay. He uh, gave me loads of details about 10, ten years ago. And the power of Facebook, there she was. And um, I didn't message her directly, I messaged her husband, because I didn't, you know, want to freak her out if she didn't know about me. Yeah. And um, he got got in touch within five minutes, and she's been searching for you for your whole life.
9: Oh, Damien.
13: (laughs) So, uh, yeah, and within a week we'd met. Uh, I met my sister, then two weeks later I met my uh, biological mum.
1: God, what was that like, standing on the doorstep of this sister?
13: Just amazing. It just felt completely fine. You know... For years, for all my life, I think, I'd kind of been in bit in denial. I didn't need to meet them. I didn't need to know anymore. But
1: Why, because it, it felt, felt blue, it just... sort of disloyal to your family?
13: Yeah, yeah, there's that element to it. And also, um, I'd had such a great, you know, childhood. I've had, you know, my family's amazing. I've got, you know, my adoptive parents and an adoptive sister as well. And I couldn't have asked for more, you know. I've never had any... Problems with the family, so I never felt the need to look any further. Yeah, you know, you know, I just listened to Andrew and hearing about you know family arguments and fallouts so over you know usually such silly things.
1: Yeah, and the longer it goes on, the easier it is to just let it go.
13: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, when you could just say what you need to say.
1: Yeah. So but, this, so know. this sister, she knew about you presumably for years. Yeah. You say,
13: yeah, she's two two and a half years older than me. Oh, she, yeah, does, she she remember, does she remember then? Does she remember you? Yeah, Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, she'd been searching for me forever, but because I'd obviously had my name changed, they'd, they'd given me my name at birth, but then, of course, it's changed by the adoptive parents, and uh, she would have no, no clue of where to look for me.
1: Gosh. So, <laughs> did you find you had a lot in common? Was it an oh. easy thing to just start a relationship? Or? Yeah.
13: Uh, we may as well be twins, wow, the similarities are incredible. Um, it just feels you know for years and years, I imagined in my mind how that would feel to meet them if i ever if I ever did, mm-hmm. not thinking it would happen yeah um i've suffered with anxiety and depression for years, probably maybe related to you know to adoption issues, but I had no fear, I had no sense of anxiety or emotional upset you know it's it's a very emotional thing but i just felt really great i just felt really calm gosh and that... my adoptive parents and my sister have, you know been my adoptive sister have been great about it as well so
1: yeah were you worried about telling them that that's what you wanted to do or no no. Oh, no your sister's the one that
13: uh, no know oh, you your other sister. half
1: wasn't it yeah yeah it your other half that what was it you said within five minutes your other half would what's she done
13: Oh no! Um, within five minutes, my my biological sister's husband had contacted Got me. I, I contacted him first, as, as sort of a, as a soft way to to approach.
1: And that's that's brilliant. That's really thoughtful.
13: Well, you know, she may not have known about me, and that would could you could destroy somebody's life. You know, instead yeah. of.
1: And did you know the circumstances of your being put up for adoption? Or
13: yeah, yeah, I know everything. Mm. <laughs> I know everything. It was just, you know, one of those things that my mum, my biological mum really wanted to keep me. My biological dad absolutely didn't. And uh, at that time in the 70s, there were few options. And uh, thankfully, they, they did the right thing, and gave me the best life they could.
1: Yeah. So uh, from the sister, then you meet the mum. What was that like?
13: Oh, just, just the same. Amazing. Really good. So now I've got two families to deal with.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and you've got another set of birthdays to remember and all that stuff.
13: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it sounds, re- it sounds uh, great. So w- how would, how did your mum feel about finding you? I mean, that's a ridiculous question, but what, is, what has she told you?
13: She's told me everything. Yeah. Um, I think I've always been a really open person, and uh, they're the same, and, and they've, we've talked about everything. And she was very, very guilty, you know. She's, she was like she had to make up for all these years 47 years and I said you have nothing to be guilty for you've given me the best you gave me the best life possible what were the alternatives you know I could have I could have ended up anywhere you know or or not here at all
1: yeah or um, being raised by a dad that didn't want you
13: absolutely
1: what's what's happened to that biological father we don't know right
13: and we don't care that's fine you know I've I've I kind of realise where my uh, my traits come from, and they're certainly not from him, from what I've been told about him. But
1: right, gosh,
13: that's you know, all good.
1: And how is is it impacted on your mental health now? Do you, I mean, you talked about um, anxiety and depression. Do you feel a, yeah. any lift there, or
13: a massive lift? not funny. Massively, right? massive, massive difference. You know, you can go through your life being adopted, and you you think everything's fine but you wonder if you're living the life you should be yeah you question your identity because you don't know your real roots and now I feel like I've got my real roots along with the the nurture of the 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 family I've grown up with so I'm just very lucky very very lucky
1: it's incredible I mean if you listen to this show you'll know about a bit about Ian's kind of journey and I hate the yes. word journey, but you know what I mean, his experiences. Yes. And how important authenticity and being honest and living in a more straightforward life have done, the difference it's made, you know?
13: The, the, tr- this, the secret to all, everything in life is simplicity and authenticity. Just simplify everything as far as you can. You know, we all complicate things and we all overthink things. You know, thoughts, are, thoughts aren't things, they're just thoughts. Yeah,
1: you're right,
13: um, you're right. We overthink things and makes things such a big, you know, big deal. When re- in reality, um, we're, we're much simpler people. We've just, we've overwhelmed ourselves, you know, with, with technology and social media and, and things like that. If we just simplify ourselves and go back to basics, Small groups of friends, small, you know, family around us. They're the things you need.
1: Do you think also sometimes accepting that there are certain people that are no good for you in your life? Oh, yeah,
13: massively. Yeah, I I had cancer treatment two years ago and found out exactly who the toxic people in my life were.
1: Wow, okay. That'll do it.
13: Oh, yeah. (laughs) And um, it's very freeing. Yeah, I've wanted to speak to Ian for a long time, actually. I've heard, you know, his, but that's his journey, you know. But I I would always be here if he, if he needed me.
1: Ah, oh, you're a good one, Damien. Thanks very much for phoning. Thank you. Hey, I, I've be. got to ask you, before you go, though, what's the next thing you're looking forward to?
13: Uh Producing an album. What? I make music, so I'm going to produce an album.
1: Right, well, when uh, you do, I want to hear about it. You will do. <laughs> All right, you give me a shout. Thanks very much, Damien thank you oh, 0344 four, four,
0: nine, nine, 1000 late night ian lee on talk radio
1: it's no it's me i'm Catherine boyle i'm usually here with ian but he's having a couple of days off but we will plow on i'm looking at some right faces here on my uh, computer screen you know this fashion for great big pouty lips right it's quite common now for you know girls particularly in their sort of 20s but you know women of all ages really to get this this procedure done and it's temporary and they'll put fillers into your lips and then uh, it will wear off after a time and at first it can look quite different as you can imagine a bit like sort of um, a life boy or something they're massive sometimes they look like they're stuck on do you remember when we were kids? You used to be able to get in a Christmas cracker. You'd get these fake lips, plastic ones that you could put between your teeth. That that kind of vibe. Anyway, loads of people are getting them done. And thanks very much for the um, tweets I've had from people who've had it done themselves. Oh um, three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Now I will admit to in my twenties I did, began to sort of buy into this idea. You have got to remember when I was in my twenties, all like Kate Moss and all these lovely bee stung lips. And I've got quite thin. You know, I've got I'm Irish stock, right? So. I've got quite thin Celtic lips that are good for um, tucking in when the wind's blowing hard. So... I always felt a little bit like, you know, I, I needed to boost them a bit. And you could get these lip, um, I can't remember what it was called. It was like a lip gloss, but it had cinnamon in it or something. And it would make your lips sting. <laughs> and that's how you ended up with bigger lips, right? And it was only ever temporary. And I don't know how much it actually did, because you'd convince yourself by looking in the mirror that while you're going through this kind of nettling effect on your lips that something different was happening. Um, but really, all you were doing was just making your lips tingle, right? So... And maybe they maybe they swirled up a tiny bit, but certainly not to the extent that people want these days. But this is sort of taking a bit of a turn. You can get anything online these days. You can get people um, selling you products that promise to do all kinds of things. And there are women these days, primarily women, but some blokes as well, who are um, doing these kind of lip fillers that they buy online, right? There's some awful stories. This is in the Sun Online at the moment. A shocking 70% of women and girls desperate for lip fillers choose their practitioners from social media. 70% for the main... One of the main features of your face. Where plump pouts are for sale at the click of a mouse. Yet beneath the flashy adverts boasting of bargain prices and glamorous results lies a dark, unregulated trade where so-called beauticians are putting their clients lives on the line for cash. Uh, Countless Brits, including unsuspecting mums Siobhan Phelan and Kelly McVicker, have been maimed, disfigured and left in agony after being lured in by filler deals on sites like Facebook. That's why, as part of Fabulous's Have Our Fail campaign, I, who's this, who's writing this, let's give it the right shout, Sophie Jane Evans. Um, I investigated Facebook Marketplace to see how easy it is to buy fillers. I found that beauticians, and she's put those in quote marks, are selling six times the recommended dose of filler, disappearing with customers' cash before the treatment date, and offering lip fillers to children with no parental consent. Facebook has nearly 45 million uh, users in the UK alone, and the company posted a record profit of £68.88 which is £5.23 billion um, last year. The Marketplace section of the site operates in a similar way to Gumtree, where sellers can uh, advertise used goods from cars and cosmetics to fashion and furniture, but the site has previously come under fire for being linked to criminals selling off stolen items and numerous scams. Um, Users are meant to be at least 13 years old to access Facebook, and Marketplace is supposedly only available to those aged 18 or over, but in practice, no proof of age is needed to sign up. Um... Once on the platform, they're easy prey for, and again, quote, unquote, beauticians who've left customers with disfigured duck pouts and within minutes of losing their lips. I mean, imagine, you want bigger lips, you might end up with none. And so for this reason, this one is calling for tighter regulations on Britain's filler industry and for social media companies like Facebook to clamp down on dodgy practices. So, I mean, it's got loads of... Oh, God, £149 for lip fillers or £60 for stuff you can do at home and... Um, hundreds of sellers advertising lip fillers on marketplace. It says here. Anyway, it's quite an interesting one. Um, but some of these women have ended up, you know, nearly got really seriously disfigured. Oh, just be careful. Here's the other thing that I've noticed. Right, and I've never had a massively easy body image. To be honest, I've always kind of thought I was massive, even. When in later years you realise you're never going to be that tiny again, and you were absolutely fine, what a waste it is, right? We waste our youth, particularly women, but I think blokes as well. And there, are, I know there are some of you listening out there who will understand what I'm talking about, fellas. That we waste our youth, the time when we are at our most vibrant and most beautiful, and maybe you know the slimmest and the trimmest we're ever going to be. We waste it worrying that we don't look like the next you know, the person on the advertising campaign or on... The... When I was a kid, it was Baywatch. You know, none of us looked like Baywatch, the Baywatch babes. Even they didn't look like the bloody Baywatch babes half the time. It was ridiculous. This kind of idea that uh, you're not good enough until you sort of work on yourself. Honestly, and you're not going to believe me if you're in your 20s. If you're listening now, if you're in your 20s or late teens, just enjoy being gorgeous because you are, and one day you'll look at photos of yourself and you'll see it. But it might be 20, 30 years Just enjoy how you are. Ah, there you go. There's my um, mummism of the day. Let's have a quick word with Geoffrey in Wigan. Hey, Geoffrey.
14: Hello, Catherine. Hello.
1: I bet you were gorgeous in your 20s, weren't you, Geoffrey?
14: Actually, I was looking at pictures with a friend the other day, and he saw a picture of me with an ex-girlfriend years ago, and he asked if it was two lesbians. (laughs) So, I don't know. So, in other words, yes, you were gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Uh, I didn't really think so. So, I remember looking back, I looked uh, a lot better then than I do now. I bet your
1: skin was glorious. Your eyes were shining. Yeah, yeah. Your bum was was in the right place. I mean, mine certainly was.
14: uh, Yeah, it was slightly uh, less... It was more purr, you know. You know.
1: (laughs) But you never appreciate it at the time. You're always trying to be someone else. Uh, Ah,
14: I was trying to be somewhere else. I don't know about someone. Go on, tell me. Uh, I went... I got really bored. By the time I was about 18, I got really bored and i had enough. So I just started saving up. Saved up for two years and I just went away, went travelling and and didn't come back for years. Where did you go? Um, I went through Southeast Asia sort of without a clue or a guidebook or much money and... (laughs) I didn't appreciate things like they have different alphabets in these countries. I didn't research it very well. But then I got to Australia and New Zealand. That was really easy because, you know, same lingo, right?
1: Well, more or less, yeah.
14: Well, I know, there's a lot of slang. And uh, I got uh, a lot of the old uh, pommy comments there. Oh, my gosh.
1: Really? You didn't realise it was such a thing?
14: No, not really. But I kept telling them like they was the prisoners. We're the ones that didn't get put away. You
1: know. Oh, blimey! I'm sure they loved that one.
14: <laughs> oh, no, <I> didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not much. So, no. so but, yeah, it was good times, really good Did
1: you think it did you good going away, or did you just end up bringing oh, the same self back?
14: No, different self. Family didn't really recognise when got back. Um, no, really, I was very uh, lacking in confidence completely when I went away. And by the time I came back, I'd done all these ridiculous jobs. And I don't know. Was, you know, like shared room with
3: yeah.
14: 10, 12 people and kitchens with hundreds. And it, obviously it changes you. And I opened my... Um, I opened my chances of communicating with people more easily you know
1: that whole thing of broadening your horizons yeah
14: yeah basically yeah and since that like i've never thought anything of doing any job like i'd certainly try it you know i'd give it a go because you just have to when you're doing that
3: right
1: i've got a friend who did a similar thing and she's got a a kind of similar outlook in that nothing's forever if you don't like don't it, know. you can try something else. It gave her that confidence yeah. to just chuck it in because she knows she can pick it up wherever she wants.
14: Yeah, you kind of can, you know. Like, you just give something else a go and turn your hand to it and, you know.
1: I, never did, the, I never did such a grand tour. I never did. It was never kind of, it was never an option for me. I was always going to go straight from school to university, but I did languages at university, so I was away for a year. I did six months in uh, Paris and six months in Zaragoza, in you Spain. You've
14: spoken about that before, yeah. and that's where well, you've got such... It's very strong in French, aren't you? But you're, you're, uh, you speak other languages as well? Right? Just,
1: just the French and Spanish. There's a couple of other... Slightly more than Ian. Bits and bobs. Oh, yeah, well, Ian. But Ian says it with such conviction that, you know, there's no telling him he's not speaking whatever it might be. <laughs> but what I learned from that time is that Home is wherever you decide it, it, it needs to be.
14: Quite, quite.
1: I did get a bit fed up of being foreign at some times yeah, and having to explain totally things.
14: Right. Yeah, but I still do now. Like I live, I live in the North West now and I come from Essex, so I still have to explain on a daily basis why I sound like
1: it. I bet they call you a Cockney, don't they?
14: They call me worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> caught <laughs> is the first word,
1: yeah. Uh, I'm the other way around. I've lived down south since I was ten. And I think part of the reason why I kept hold of my accent, which, by the way, is not as strong as it was, but still, I it's, it's yeah. noticeable. I think part of it was that it was made a big deal of, and so, in a way, I kind of stuck, mm-hmm. my, heel, stuck my heels in a bit, you know?
14: Yeah, I think you do, yeah, I think you do.
1: Because for the first time, you can hear your own voice twanging away different from everyone else's. Yeah!
14: and it really uh, it sticks out like a sore thumb doesn't it yeah, yeah. do you, you still find that down south now or not really
1: oh god yeah we had a, um, yeah. a double glazing salesman come the other day and there were a number of things he did to that let's just say didn't ingratiate himself <laughs> right but um sort of took the mickey out of my accent at one point and I thought mate you're trying to sell me something yeah Yeah, it's... uh, The yellow pages over
14: there,
1: right? It's not cool, exactly. It's not cool. And also, he tried to school... Oh, this is the best one. He tried to school me on... I was wearing a Kiss T-shirt. Right.
14: um,
1: And then we got talking about various kind of music things. Or rather, he got talking about it. And he tried to school me on, basically on the zombies and the animals, people we've actually interviewed. So, I held back, but I was thinking, all right, now, just sell me some windows and bugger off, because you're not helping here
14: at all. Uh, do you know what I'd do? I'd order about 20 windows for an hour down the road, They <laughs> don't like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in the end, he gave us a quote that we got matched and, and beaten, so it worked out for our in our favour, but, um, I mean, some people, some
14: people. Mm, yeah, it's probably time to move on for them. I think it's the old uh, xenophobia, isn't it, still? Uh...
1: There is, do you know what? There's a little bit of north-south stuff...
14: You're not, yeah, there really is, yeah, yeah. It was worse 20 years ago when I come up here, but it's still still there, yeah. When
1: I first moved down south, people in my school thought I was American.
14: Oh, wow. Yeah, because it's that
1: kind of town where no one ever leaves and no one ever comes in.
14: (laughs) No one ever comes back if they do leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. But anyway.
14: Anyway, you. I thought I'd give you a nice, cheerful, upbeat, fun Thanks
1: very and much, Geoffrey.
14: Um, no worries, mate. Um, what, what's the
1: next thing you're looking forward to?
14: Uh, oh, wow. I just uh, restarted my business today. So tomorrow I've got to get in touch with company's House and get a VAT number and all that nonsense and get some business cards done. And I've still not published that bleeding book. And there's lots of things going on. It's good.
1: All right. Thanks very much for letting me know. Good luck with it. It sounds like a nightmare, but at the same time, you sound excited about it, so that's yeah, all.
14: Uh, nightmares keep me alive.
1: Wow, okay. All right. On that bombshell. Thanks, Jeffrey.
14: <laughs> See you there.
1: Good to speak to you. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the phone number to call. We can talk about whatever you want to. We've been talking a bit about families and the complicated thing that is family. Um but you know, as we've just heard, you can talk about whatever the hell you want in whatever the hell accent you got. Uh you can send a text uh via eight seven two two two. Just remember to start your text with the word talk, and that text will cost you twenty five P plus your standard network charge, or you can send me a tweet either at talk radio or at flippin' calf. With a K and no G, at flipping cath. Uh, but really, I'd like to hear your voice. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Coming up after the break, I think we will get a little bit spooky, and I'll tell you about the exorcist's wife who claims she was possessed by something that came out of the Ouija board. I know, but let's just let's just go with it for now. Oh uh, three four 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 nine nine one thousand. And I've also got a story about oh. Uh, husband's distressing and disturbing request not like that you pervert 0344 499 1000 you're listening to Talk Radio I'm Catherine Boyle, it'll be me today and tomorrow then Ian Lee will be back as usual uh, on Monday so um, yeah while the cat's away and all that, you're listening to Talk Radio
0: Talk Radio Across the UK Late Night with Ian Lee on Talk Radio
1: Four four you're listening to Talk Radio. I'm Catherine Boyle, and I'm taking your calls right the way through until midnight tonight about anything you fancy. It's that time of night, isn't it, when sometimes worries and things creep up on you and you've got no-one else to talk to. You can always give me a buzz. Uh, Or we can talk about what the next thing you're looking forward to is. Because I think that this time of year, this time of night, um, it's very easy to sort of slip into a bit of a funk and not the cool James Brown type. Do you know what I mean? It's like a... What, what else is there? What am I going to do? What's the next thing you're looking forward to? And I want to hear your stories about families, whether you come from, you know, the quote-unquote perfect family, which frankly I don't believe exists, or a good enough family that actually is hilarious and fun to be part of. Or whether you've decided that actually um, it's not about DNA. You can make your own family from people that you find elsewhere and you're not related to at all and they're healthier people for you to be around. 0344 499 1000. We've had some absolutely brilliant stories so far and you're really so good at this. Thanks so much for confiding in me. I do realise that it's a daunting thing to ring up a radio station, but hopefully... um, I can't promise I'll be gentle, but I'll try my best. Hey, Dan.
10: Hi there, hi Captain. Hey, what's going on with you? Um, a few nights ago, I heard on uh, Talk talking about mental health. Yeah. Ah. And I've got a story about myself, which I think is quite entertaining in a way, but Go it's on. a true Go story. On. Go on. Um, so I'm, I'm quite old now, I'm 40 odd, but uh, when I was a young man around. Hang on a
1: minute. 40 back- uh, odd, you mean like 43? 47. 47? Bang on the nose, though. I Wow, I'm not as good at this as Ian is, but my daughter said something lovely to me the other day. She went, how old are you? And I said, 42. She went, so that's, like, really late 20s. I went, so late. I'm keeping hold of that. <laughs> so you were in late 20s, Dan. Yeah. So, um,
10: <laughs> I, I, was, I was 24 when my first son was born. Right. Uh, but prior to that, when I first found out my wife was pregnant, I was in shock. Yeah. Uh, and um, I was, I'd was just joined the Army. We'd moved into the Army. Uh, and suddenly we're pregnant. And I, I had it in my mind that I didn't want a child whilst I was in the Army. So this was a big shock to me.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: Um, so on one particular day, I was going ill or a strained ankle or something. I can't remember exactly what. Uh, on the desk in the medical center was a, a leaflet saying, if you need advice or something, uh, speak to us. And it was an office that was on the upstairs or the medical center.
3: Right.
10: So I I grabbed this piece of paper. I marched upstairs um, thinking, uh, whatever. Went into this office where this woman was sat down at her desk. And she says, "Um, uh, can I help you? And I literally burst into tears all over the floor, um, crying my head off, trying to explain everything through my tears uh, about what it was. And I'm having a child. Oh, my God, terrible, terrible. Um, and I get to the end of my tears and she says, I don't think you want to, me, you want to speak to. <laughs> I'd gone through all of that and it wasn't even her. Uh, what happened was they made an appointment with the doctor uh, and then I went and spoke to the doctor, although I don't know quite how, why he, he should be speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And he, he basically said, you know, you can have a chance, it's the best thing in the world and all the rest of it. Um, in the end, it took me a few months to uh, get my head around it and of course, He's my youngest son, and, and I'm very proud of him, et etc. et cetera, now. Um, but also, around that period of time, I'll, as I approached my 24th birthday, on the day of it, I, I became more zombified. Uh, I, I don't know why. I had this cloud of depression all over me, and um, I was just going down and down. And as this day came, I was livid. I don't know why. I, I just was walking around like a zombie. And I think my troops around me knew something wasn't right yeah and what we have uh, they asked me to stand on a sheet um in the middle of a, in the middle of a sheet now we have these sheets which are about the size of a house in a way and we tend to fold them up roll them up and fold fold them up and roll them up yeah. uh, but the wind sometimes gets underneath them so it's not uncommon that you might hold down a corner well they asked me to stand in the middle so that stopped the wind blowing it yeah and i, I sort of like lumbered into the middle. And then they all ran in, wrapped me up in this, t- this sheet and chucked me in a skip. <laughs> it broke my mood. I felt so happy that they'd done it. Uh, I, I felt happy and it, it totally lifted me up.
1: It's that kind of tough love that you talk about <laughs> in the <laughs> army where, you know, it's kind of um,
10: they're like brothers. Yeah, that's right. And it really it, it changed my mood. It switched me totally. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, could, I felt really happy. That they cared for me enough to chuck me in the skip. Oh.
1: <laughs> well, in in a, I mean, it's a weird story. I'm not going to lie, Dan, but it's delightful at the same time. And it obviously did the trick for you. Yeah, it did. So, and, by uh, the time by the time your son was born, were you ready, or did you still feel a bit powerless yeah, but, about uh, it all?
10: About, about three months prior to it, I, I started to turn around. Yeah, and uh, obviously, and uh, when he was born, of course, I was proud of punch, um, and uh, and as you do, you know, carrying around in the papoose and all. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I think. If if a lot of men are
1: honest, it is a it is a bit of a... Especially the first one. And you were 24, you're a baby, basically, Dan.
10: Well, I had this idea that I wasn't going to have a child whilst I was in the army. Yeah. And suddenly, that power was taken out of my hands.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of men feel that. It's a, a sort of a, a panic. I remember the look on my husband's face. Wasn't entirely delighted. Even though we'd been trying, it, we, it worked first time, and I think he'd been hoping for a bit more trying. But, um, yeah, it's it's a daunting thing when you realise it's actually going to happen.
3: Yeah,
10: it
1: is. Especially if you've had a very ordered life, because uh, it's one thing babies ain't, and that's ordered and orderly.
10: Well, you know, I think for for young men, like uh, that, we're taught in in, in essence to um, to it's all about yourself. Mm. You know, it's mm. about promoting yourself, get doing everything yourself. So. Uh, where where women are more about caring for others. Yeah,
1: I get what you mean, like that traditional value of the dad being the breadwinner and you've got to be the one out in front because everyone's relying on you.
10: So, so when you're a single man and then that you switch then to being a parent, it isn't about you anymore, it's about the child. Yeah. And so that is a real change from a man's perspective.
1: Yeah, and especially a 24-year-old man. I'm going to say it again, you were a baby. Yeah, yeah. Oh, How old's your eldest son now?
10: He's 20.
1: What well, Exactly, so he's two years off how old you were, and I bet he's not ready to be a dad is he? Oh
10: no, he's nowhere to, No.
1: <laughs> but I suppose if he's not, the other thing is, the army I don't know, I have friends that joined the army and it did change them it changed them in an obvious way, they felt a lot more responsible they felt, uh, you know, they were part of something bigger um, and they weren't like the other 20 odd year olds that I was knocking about with, I'll put it that way
10: I is the uh, the best Days, the best years of my life, mm. uh, work wise, in the army. Uh, I'm not in the army anymore, but. Do you miss uh, it still? Oh, yeah, totally.
1: What made you stop? What made you come out?
10: Uh, I've done my time. Right. I've done 24 years, and that was enough. Yeah. And uh, time to move on and, and do other things. But God. Um, that transition's so, got to be something else. You know, you, 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 it's, there's a whole society inside there, and uh, young women, young men, <clears throat> you know, as they come through, all bringing their problems, but. As they this through, ideally, they work their problems out and, and attain things, gain things, leadership skills and, and uh, courses and, and, and mentoring each other mm-hmm. in, any, in many ways.
1: And when you came out, how hard or easy was it to become a civvy?
10: Um, it's hard every day to a degree. Um, um, my first interview blew me away. And, uh, uh, and, uh, in what way? I didn't get a job. (laughs) What,
1: and in your head you thought, I've done X, Y and Z and therefore this should happen?
10: Well, you know how it is, um, how uh, you, you know they say get back on the horse? Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, it knocked me off the horse and I've not really gone back on it. Oh, really? Um, I mean, I've got a a job in truck driving, but, you know, it wasn't the job I was planning to do.
1: What did you want to do?
10: I wanted to um, be a... Paramedic or a medic or something like that. All right, okay, but uh, it's not not quite worked out the way I wanted. But hey ho, no.
1: yeah, life in
10: it. Yeah, yeah, you, you've still got to plow on.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for giving us a ring. I really appreciate it, Dan. It's nice to speak to you. All
10: right, have a good, have a nice night.
1: You too. Take take care. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number you want to ring. Uh, Sloop's done that. Let's have a quick word with Sloop John B. Hey Sloop.
15: Howdy, Catherine oh. man. With uh, cats away.
1: The cat is not the cat is not the one that's away for
15: once. <laughs> it's the big dog Ian. <laughs> Listen, dog. Catherine, I actually really wanted to pick your brains about something.
1: Oh God, this won't take long then.
15: No, 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 <laughs> Listen, do you remember before I talked to you about the stuff I'd learned about producing through this podcast? Yeah. Stuff, right. I, I was going to say I need a second opinion, but I need confirmation on something because I think I know which way you'll go with this. Right. All right. Go on. And both you, you and me have got family or parents who are involved in journalism Mm -hmm. right now there's a broadcaster and journalist I really respect okay and I'm not going to say who it is in case anyone because
1: you'd embarrass
16: me
15: (laughs) how did you know Catherine (laughs) (laughs) but I guess what 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 it is is there was an incident I'll, I'll say what the incident is I'm a wrestling nut as we all know yeah but it was quite a nasty incident called the Mass Transit Incident, where a kid and his father basically lied to a producer and got onto a wrestling show, and the kid got really badly hurt. He was 17. Oh, he
1: my God. What, and they 20- said he was a wrestler, and he wasn't?
15: No, yeah. He literally put on a load of gear and turned up, and the producer made a, a, the, the massive error of not asking for actual paperwork, documentation. So he went out there, and I would, anyone who who can Google it can Google it. The kid's name was Eric Coolas, right. and he got really badly hurt. And there was a lawsuit which he didn't win. Mm-hmm. And what it is is that I've given stories to this broadcaster before because he he takes them on his website. Look, you got something for me? Let me know. Yeah. And I think I really uh, just to give you a little bit of back 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 sight on something. Ian was on a podcast called Off the Beaten Track.
1: Yep, heard it.
15: Yeah. I got somebody on that because I just sent a very polite message to Stuart. Mm-hmm. A guy called Andrew Emery, who I spoke to about his book. Right. And, I, and and I was rewarded by him revealing on the show that the book's now been option for a television show. All right, great. So, so it was a great feeling. And again, I've got this story, and it's, it ties into what maybe you've been hinting at to do with like Harry and Meghan and stuff. Yeah. And the media. I I could probably get this story through I know I could and I think the guy would not only probably speak to this wrestler that Mm -hmm. was involved in it and probably make it would be a big story for him
3: right
15: but there's part of me that I've been quite upset I never get upset with politics but the whole Harry and Meghan thing is actually quite it's touched a nerve with me because like I said with my dad being involved in journalism I know quite a lot about it and I find that good journalists are good journalists but there's a lot of stuff that I'm quite uneasy with with journalism Mm -hmm. and that's one subject I shouldn't send the story through should I
1: well it sounds like you've answered your own question you know you've got to live with with yourself is it worth it is it worth it because the story will get published or broadcast or whatever it is and then millions and then there will be an impact on people
15: well I think he deserves his family have probably had enough and, and and they deserve to have some peace and not maybe have a, a journalist start prodding around again. And even though for me it would mean that I would meet someone who's one of the biggest journalists on the face of the planet, well, what I would say is maybe have some recognition from this person. Yeah. I've, I've you, got a. Really do you want it like, it
1: like this? That. Here's the thing. Do you want it like this?
15: No. And you a way to your question. No, it isn't
1: there. Yeah, yeah. I've been asked to do things in the past me like, you know, standing outside hospitals asking parents if they're worried. Uh, and refused to do oh, it, yeah. and it probably means that I've not got on as in the same way that I would have got on. You know, I'm not. A, I'm not a reporter now. Put it that way.
15: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but um, I
1: don't think that I'm that person.
15: It's tricky, isn't it? Because the thing is that when I with, with this Megan and Harry thing, it really brought it back to me because I've written this email on, on draft and thought you could just send it, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But then I've been really wound up by people talking about. Making sort of assumptions about people they don't actually know personally. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So, for for example, people going, oh, I think it's wrong and all this, and I'm sort of sitting there going, do you have this person on your telephone? Can you call them? Do you know their family? Are you involved in that family? Because really, you probably have got no business talking about that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I kind of mean? It's just this this, this kind of vacuous thing that we do, where we sort of put this news out and, and intrude on people's lives well, and then make judgment. And I, think, judgments, and if, you know I right? think,
1: in some ways, it's comforting to us who live less than perfect lives that Deflective. someone who. That someone who we think has got an advantage in life is having a tough time. I think sometimes there's part of us that goes, "Ah, oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Maybe, yeah. maybe my life isn't quite as bad, you know? Because I, I'm a good person, and they're obviously bad people, or whatever yeah. it might be. Well, Do you yeah. know what? There's there there is a part of that it, that it is self-soothing in some way, but you've got to decide. Wh- d- you've got to decide. You've got to I decide mean, it- whether you can live with yourself, basically.
15: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I will say one thing. My dad was involved in a court case back in the 80s. Right. Because uh, I remember Fleet Street from the 80s and stuff, and my dad was all doing it. He did nothing wrong, but but he could have potentially had to take the stand and stuff like this. And I... I oh, man, it's just so difficult, because I know that you're, you've you got a background in journalism as well. I do respect journalism massively. That's why I wouldn't have called up a podcast to talk about Andrew Emery, but there's a huge part of it I absolutely despise, you know?
1: Yeah.
15: But... It's you true. Know it's, it's, it's like in hard. any
1: industry, you you get people who decide what the rules rules are for them, you know.
15: Oh, by the way, just just I will say on a lighter note, you know, you and me have one thing in common. Oh, yeah, what? We both worked for the BBC at one time.
1: Oh, wow. It, yeah. it, and you know what? It might happen again. I never say never, but... Um...
15: No, it was work experience, Catherine.
1: <laughs> All right, OK. <laughs> OK. But, my, my work yeah. experience, where did I work? I worked at the Warrington Guardian for a bit. Uh, for a couple of weeks.
15: The Warrington Guardian? Because Guardian is from Manchester originally. Yeah,
1: it? no, but this is the local newspaper, the Warrington Guardian. Okay. And I went to interview... Oh, so many brilliant stories from those days. I went to interview a couple. I think it was, yeah, it was while I was at the Warrington Guardian. A couple who were celebrating their golden wedding anniversary and he was they were so sweet i went and sat in their living room and they made me a cup of tea and we had this lovely chat about you know the the secret to a happy marriage and all these things you don't go to bed on an argument and all that thing and then as she was blind and he was looking after her and it was a really sweet relationship and then as i left i saw the most the hugest marital aid let's put it that way you have ever seen yeah on the mantelpiece
15: I think, I think, well, I bet again you didn't write
1: about it. Did I didn't write about it. I'm not sure she knew about it. Maybe that was a secret <laughs> to a long and happy marriage. I don't know. But anyway, it was just things like that would happen. Or there'd be this character when I um, was at the Warrington Guardian. And after a while, they said, yeah, you don't have to um, take his phone calls anymore. Um, but he was called. He's probably, I bet I should check, but. Okay, well, I, I'm not going to name him, but he um, used to be a kind of uh, ghost expert, a local ghost expert. But the feeling was that he uh, enjoyed the notoriety more than
9: the truth.
15: Can I ask you one quick question, right? Yeah, go and on. Because some of my friends, anyone who knows the Camden New Journal, I've got a couple of people I know that write for it.
3: Yeah. Right?
15: And Rainbow George, who, oh God, can I can I be really honest with you?
3: Well, yeah. are we
1: gonna are we gonna not put that, the back bat, bat signal
15: characters? Characters like George sometimes are indulged in local newspapers and that's kind of what makes them entertaining. And I think that's, you know, it's a different medium. And what I will say is that where the national papers sometimes look to tear people down maybe sometimes local papers build people up but we'll leave it there All right.
1: that's an interesting point that's an interesting point yeah there are certain people that do come up time and time again on a local level
15: they, they keep being in there and they're they're, they're they're picketing about something and i'm not saying it's, it's not that it's an issue oh, but god. sometimes i read a local paper and i'm facepalming going
1: no immediately off. i know oh god i can give you so many examples of that from when i used to work yeah. in local yeah in local um radio and newspapers flipping it.
15: I think you're right. Listen, Cap, I will call back when I've got some more Elvis recipes. Okay.
1: <laughs> like
15: fried squirrel. Fried squirrel, well,
1: squirrel baby. <laughs> 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 Thanks very much for ringing. 344 499 I mean, I'm not here for work experience advice, but I'm I'm here for the next 40 minutes. You can use me as you will.
0: Late night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio.
1: Except I'm not Ian Lee. I'm Catherine and we're going to get spooky now because I've got um, a spooky story to tell you and I've not read ahead so hopefully it doesn't get
3: uh,
1: serious at any point because I've like set up like daft music and all that stuff for you because it's after midnight and this is kind of what we do but um, okay so bear with me this could go horribly wrong here we go let's put some of this on let's see what happens if I press this okay this is the story about the exorcist's wife A registered Catholic exorcist and ordained reverend has talked about the first-ever paranormal incident he investigated in which he claims a demon nearly robbed his wife of her life. The Reverend Sean Whittington, who is a registered exorcism deliverance minister based in Las Vegas, told the Beyond Reality podcast, Beyond Reality, i.e., bullshine that he regretted ever using a ouija board following the experience telling the harrowing tale he said unfortunately the first extremely malevolent case that we came across i didn't recognize the signs and so i was very stupid and ignorant as to how to properly use a ouija board or even if they should be used I don't use them or touch them anymore, but we used a Ouija board in this case, and I did a seance, and I believe now that it caused something to come through and attach to us, and it followed us home that night and took up residence in our home for about eight weeks. There were dire consequences to this spirit or ghost coming through, he said, adding, if I could do it all over again, I probably wouldn't because I almost lost my wife because of it. She was the one who was the target of the attack. When asked by the host, J.V. Johnson, if the attack was physical, Reverend Sean replied, It was physical. Well, everything, but mostly physical. It left her with. Oh, my God. It left. I'm not going to do the voice anymore because it's got a little bit. And in fact, very. It left her with three very raw, rare forms of cancer. And she didn't drink, didn't smoke. She was the healthiest person I knew. No history of cancer in her family. And right after we got this thing out of the home, her attack, or what was left over of the attack, came on like damn busters. And within just a few days, she developed a very rare form of tongue cancer, thorax cancer, and thyroid cancer, which spread through the lymph nodes all through her neck, and she was expected to die. I should at this point point out, I'm not taking the mickey out of this woman's cancer at all. What I would suggest is, probably wasn't a ghost what done it. She had a feeding tube for over a year and she wasn't expected to live. So I did a lot of crawling on my hands and knees on my prayer chapel, mainly ni- many nights when she was basically, literally, dying at home. Fortunately, Reverend Sean's wife survived few. And he continued to do his work and also became ordained as he'd promised God when praying for his wife's life. And that, my friends, apparently is the end of that story. It didn't tell us what came through or anything like that, just... Don't mess with the Ouija board. Apparently, that, 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 that's the main uh, takeaway from that. I mean, anyone else slightly disappointed by that? I am sorry, but sometimes I try to surprise myself, you see, by not reading the whole article. And unfortunately, I surprised myself with just how bloody boring that was. Okay, uh, but I'm glad she got better, Odds. Uh, let me, if you want to give me a ring, 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. Here's another one while we're being macabre. Wife freaked out by husband's disturbing request for after he has passed away. We all have a different idea, says the Daily Star, of what we want to happen with our bodies after we die. But one man whose final wish strays from the more traditional methods has left his wife wanting to cry with his disturbing requests. Oh, blimey. She explains that her husband of 12 years has had medical problems recently and it led to the couple discussing end-of-life plans. We all do that, don't we? Usually you get a stupid answer. (laughs) Hello, Paul Ross. Um, After asking if he wanted to be buried or cremated, the man revealed he wanted... Oh, my God, this is something. This is something. I thought he was going to say the usual, you know, just sit me in a bin bag, put me in a skip. No. After asking if he wanted to be buried or cremated, the man revealed... He wanted his partner to have his skull taken from his body and cleaned. He wanted... In fact, we can put on the spooky music again, I think. It's absolutely apt. This bloke. He wanted the rest of his remains taken to one of those places that makes gems out of bodies. Ah, the gem out of body place. And made into two blue diamonds, which he wants placed in the sockets of his skull to look like eyes. Basically, he then wants to be put in the Temple of Doom or something. He's got delusions of grand... Just buy yourself a jazzy shirt or something while you're alive. You don't need to wait to be jazzed up when you're dead. Then the whole thing was to be placed on the mantelpiece in the living room to watch the family home and be passed down through generations. Honestly, Grandma, I'm not bothered. You can give it to my sister. After his wife initially assumed he was joking, as you would, he insisted he was dead serious, bracket sorry, says the Daily Star. Okay, Daily Star, we forgive you, you've said far worse. And even suggested that she did the same so they could sit above the fireplace together. She refused. She told him the whole idea made her feel uncomfortable and her children would likely feel the same way when they were handed the literal skull of their father. She admitted she would probably never take the skull out of its box, much less have it staring at her from the mantelpiece, and said if it was passed down through the family, the bizarre skull would end up being sold at a garage sale because it meant nothing to the people who inherited it. Can you imagine that turning up on Antiques Roadshow? What do we know about this? Well, it's my mad granddad's. Her husband became upset when, he, when she said his skull would remain hidden away, arguing that would be ignoring his final wishes. She said, Part of me wants to get over my feelings, but I can't. I want to cry thinking of someone hacking apart my husband and handing me his bones. And I feel anxiety over the thought of putting that skull with his blue, quote unquote, eyes in my home until I die. I'm fine if he wants a burial. I'm fine with cremation, Viking funeral, that weird thing when they turn you into a tree, whatever. I'm even fine with the gems on their own. But this whole skull thing is really bothering me. And he won't budge and he isn't joking. She revealed she was tempted to cremate him and spread the ashes on the property but felt the move would be sneaky and dishonest. What's he going to do, aren't you? Writing on Reddit, she asked others for advice on how to handle the situation. Oh, I'm sure they dealt with it sensitively and with great tact and discretion. One replied, so maybe this would be one of those don't ask again, consider his recommendation a non-binding suggestion and do what seems prudent if or when he passes. Well, he will at some point. Another wrote... Speaking as someone who lost their dad sixteen at 16, which is 11 years now, I can tell you that it would be extremely disturbing to see his skull. Yeah, it would, I can imagine. For some morbid odd reason, the thought has occurred to me once or twice that by now... Oh, right, we don't want to hear this. Anyway, they go into quite a lot of detail about what happens when you've been dead for a while. Please don't actually do that to their kids, they shouldn't have to see that. It's best if he's immortalised forever in their minds, young and above all whole. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, as a wife, sometimes you get crazy requests, but that one is just a crazy request too far, don't you think? 0344 499 1000, I can see we have got a familiar voice, although we never know these days. This man is a man of mystery and um, and a master of disguise. Let's see who's on the phone today. Hello caller. Hello. It's Nigel. You? You're on. Hello, Catherine. You're on. Okay. I never know. I never know which voice you're going to use these days. Whether it's going to be oh, Frank Spencer.
17: <laughs> or oh, oh, I didn't know I was going to get on so quick. Have you finished talking about crazy things?
1: Yeah, I think we're done now, don't you, Nigel?
17: Yeah, yeah. Because I, I like to be cheerful. Uh, are you able to get um, my uh, Twitter on your on your um, on your laptop?
1: I'm able, what Nigel, but do? I don't know whether I should.
17: Well, I've got a one of Mrs. Doubtfire, which is the best um, thing I've put together. What I said on there was I thought was the most funniest I've done. And it's on my Twitter, Nigel Reader Free. OK. Uh, Let's have a look. Come on. Nigel Reader Free, and it's the, it's the one that says Mrs. Doubtfire, about the third one down, I believe. After the drumming.
1: Oh, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire.
17: On, well, on YouTube. Can, I, can I ask
1: you, before we delve into this, yes. what what is it about Mrs. Doubtfire that um, you like?
17: Well, no, it was just the voice. I enjoyed the voice of it because uh, yeah. it was something. I it, 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 it sound a bit like one of the Monty Python voices, don't I? That they used to do, use uh. the one I mean, you know, when they used to put scarves on. Yeah, with well, that comedy sketch. Well, you know, and that boy, funny voice. A bit similar to that, I reckon. Really. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, so this uh, is it, It's Down, only uh, about two minutes long. Can you, you play it? Just
1: two minutes. It's not going any swears, is it? You don't go blue, does it?
17: No, um, no, 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 only, only one, uh, no. I only one. Nothing really blue. No, no. No blue
1: humor. That's not like you. No,
17: not too much, and no, one little bit is not is not too bad actually. But all
1: right, okay. Let,
17: let's a minute, a minute, a minute or too, too long. I think.
1: Let's have a listen. Let's open. I can like hear it on on the
17: radio. All right, all right. Let's let, let's listen. Okay.
1: Okay. So this is. Here we go. Hang on. You're very quiet. Or is that me? Hang on, let's do this up a bit more. <laughs> let's go again. Let's go again. Okay, so what I'm seeing here is Nigel... I'm assuming it's you, Nigel. The transformation oh, is I almost too it. good. I'm scarf. Yeah, you got a scarf around your head. Okay, yeah. let's have a listen.
17: I look a bit silly.
16: <laughs> My name is Mrs
17: Dukefire.
16: <laughs> I went shopping today. Uh-huh. I got a lot of shopping. I bought cornflakes. Bags of tea, milk and sugar. And
1: is this a true story, Nigel?
16: Yeah,
1: yes. <laughs> you add them to the shops, okay. Paper. Not
17: with a scarf
1: on, though. No, I should <laughs> think my not. My
16: name is Mrs. Downfire. <laughs> so, I enjoyed my shopping day to day. It was great, yes. I met a lot of people. I said and I had a chat with them. Yes. So, my name oh, is right, Mrs. Brooke, Downfire. A, okay, yeah,
3: the, fun,
17: yeah. Sorry, sorry, Nigel. <laughs> The, 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 near the end is the
16: funniest part when the 4.5 finished ok well, let's carry on Yes. Yeah. so what am I doing tomorrow I'm going shopping again I've got lots of shopping to do so when I, I'm going on the bus it costs a lot of money so I'm going shopping again my name is Mrs. Downfire ok, uh,
1: okay. Uh, let's fast forward a bit Cause I, I get the, right, he's okay. got a
16: nice legs
1: Oh, where we go? Is it this bit? Yeah. All right.
16: And my only size. He's
1: got a nice legs and tits. Oh, okay. You told me it wasn't blue, Nigel. It no, was.
17: No. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny what I said.
1: Well, um, quite funny. Quite it's inappropriate. Not really. It's
17: not rude, really, is well, It really? is a bit.
1: It oh, it's is a bit. It is a bit. Yeah.
17: But I, it's, it's quite a hard bit to think of. Um, uh, you know, um, something to say without writing it down, isn't it? Well, obviously, it? That, that you
1: were speaking from the heart there, but I don't think Mrs. Doubtfire would notice such things, would she?
17: No, but it's, it's, it's good that I would talk about what I did during the day. Yeah. You put it all together in my head. Yeah. Apart from the... M- the and
1: bits and yeah, exactly. Um, let, 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 let's but, leave her bits and pieces alone because she's too young for I you.
17: Thought, um, it's w- another thing to come out naturally. When I, you know, I just come out and say sort really of stupid things naturally. Yeah. Um, me, really.
1: How's your day been today, Nigel? Talk to me about that.
17: My oh, hang on. Last night. Have you moved?
1: Have you moved out of your kitchen? Yeah,
17: can you hear me now? You, it's, it's you, okay. sa- yeah. you
1: sound wibbly, and you sounded fine before
17: about my dream I had this morning go uh, I got up at 7 o'clock I got up at 9 o'clock I went back to bed and then when I did go to sleep I did funny dream I went back 20 years and um went back to my I was in hospital because you were quite ill at the time Nigel I can't uh-huh.
1: hear you you're breaking up again uh-huh. go back to where the signals good is that better? so much better
17: is that it's not much better? it's so much better you stay there oh is it all good? yeah all go good. it's my hearing it's not <laughs> anyway so i had this dream about 20 years ago was 20 years ago dad was in hospital mum was here by herself and um i was wondering about i said where's i said where's dad and she said hospital and i went into the bedrooms so i didn't know it. i said i've gone back in time i said to mum because i i've gone back in time because it's course it's not now mm. and uh, i went into my bedroom and there was all christmas presents lined up against the wall and so and I realised it was Christmas. And it's, I think it's because uh, Mum's not been here for the last two Christmases that I've been having these funny dreams. And it was so real that I, I seem to see... Mum visit me in my dreams um, every time I go to sleep now. Yeah. Um, but it, do you know it, what? Uh, that, uh, here's
1: the way you it's so should... Look- it's in. Well, don't listen, Nigel. <laughs> uh, well, how about you look at it in a different way? Because I have dreams like that mm-hmm. about people. I know like- it's
17: very nice, but it, it, well, it, 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 it does actually spoil when you wake up, it's I know all the reality. Yeah, when Everything, they're not there, everything's so dull. and I, I woke up. I know. It's like everything's black. You know, like Ian said about some depression you get.
1: Yeah, and, I know. But also, you're grieving, and, it, and, and it's something.
17: Yeah, I think I'm still grieving. Of course, cause you are. It's on my mind when I go to sleep. And
1: yeah, and of course, that's what you dream about. Grieving. But here's the thing: maybe if you ch- try and change. Try and change the way you think about it, rather than it being, you know... Um...
17: No, I thought to myself, it's good that I have these dreams. At least I can see her again.
1: Yeah, see it as a little bonus,
17: a bit a bit of a mm. visit. And then another thing, it might be that she's sort of contacting me from the other side. You don't know. Do you? Who,
1: knows? Who knows? Who knows,
17: Nigel? Nigel? I mean, I'd like to believe that she's not... Her spirit's not gone and she's contacting me and well, she's still alive.
1: You know that she would if she could, don't you? Mm-hmm. So why not? If she that never helps...
17: Wanted to die, but she was in so much pain that she couldn't put up the pain. I know. Uh, and, uh, and, it, and I, you know, I felt so sorry for her because she she, had a, she would have had a few more years if she didn't have the fall in the garden.
1: I know. It's just sometimes uh-huh. it's just... It's not fair. There's no fairness to uh, it, life, it.
17: Life can be cruel, can't it?
1: It can, but you know what? Mm. You had her for all that time. Mm. Think about all the wonderful times you had. Yes. And... You know, you're so lucky. A lot of people don't have their mums for very long. Mm. Mm. And what a lovely relationship you had, just the two of you. You too. And it, she'd be it, so it, proud of you. The way you're carrying yeah. on. Yes. All right, Nigel. So yeah, see. Yeah. In, instead of yeah, being, I, 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 don't try, I, try not to let yourself get too down when you wake up and it's a dream. See it as a little visit, a little bonus.
17: Because I wasn't thinking about her when I went to sleep. It just seems to go in. I think your brain's still working when you th- go to sleep. I
1: think probably when you love and miss someone that much, they're always there in the back of your mind, even if you don't realise you're thinking about them.
17: Even if you're not thinking about them? Yeah. It. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Never right. mind. Nigel, no. you take I care of sold yourself. Soldier on. Yeah. Soldier on. This day. Exactly. What else can you do? No. I, I. I just have to take it one day at a time. Exactly.
1: Yet. And sometimes, okay. sometimes one I hour bet. at a time.
17: Hmm. I'm very happy in what I do, looking after me, in the house, and I'm quite happy. Good. And going out and meeting friends. And Good. I've got so, lots of people I talk to. And, uh,
1: try, try and concentrate on making sure you do at least one thing a day mm. that um, makes you feel happy.
17: Well, I quite enjoy doing the, the laptop, Facebook, looking through Facebook and Twitter. And
1: stuff. I know you do.
17: And the, I'm quite, you know, it keeps me occupied. anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. Nothing mm. wrong with that. Thanks, Nigel.
17: And listening to listening to listening to Marley Sarge's music and stuff, and that's interesting. Listening to music, always good. Take uh, take care, again. Nigel. I'm going to say good, 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 good night good to you now. Good. I'll, I'll speak to you another night. Uh, bye, yeah. bye, Catherine.
1: No night, Nigel.
17: Bye.
1: Uh, let's take a break. 0344 499 1000 is a number to call. We've got about twenty minutes left, so if you were going to call, don't hesitate.
0: Late night, Ian Lee on Talk Radio.
1: But spoiler alert, it's not Ian Lee, it's just me. Um, I'm Catherine Boyle. I'm usually here with Ian. Uh, today I am solo, and I will be tomorrow as well. Ian's going to be back on Mondays taking a bit of a break. Let's have a quick word with Stephen. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Kat. Hey, how are you?
18: Yeah, I was just listening to an audio there, and my mum's passed 8am now. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, I've listened to your and Ian's advice when you mention uh, stuff like Treat it as a little bonus, you know, when, when you're dreaming about about, you know, stuff that's yeah. gone on in the past, you know, with your mother.
3: Yeah.
18: Um. But God, I'm bloody starving. Um. <laughs> I've not get I've not got to go to the food bank till tomorrow. Oh man. And uh, I don't get paid till Monday. And oh God, I'm I'm starting to. I think I'm starting to digest my stomach.
3: God,
7: <laughs>
18: you know, it's getting that bad? It's been about a day and a
3: half.
18: Yeah, I, I've never went that long with it. I love food. And when know. you
1: go to the foot, I know it's flipping miles away. But when you go, how 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 much shopping do you get? Do you get enough for a, a week?
18: And um, well, I'll just be Monday, so it'll just be what's it two or three days, it'll right? Be a well, and then
1: you've happy. got to go again.
18: Uh, no, no, because I'll get paid on Monday. Right, OK. I'll, so uh, it'll be packets and noodles and tins of soup, and, but I'll have to hike that. there will probably be a couple of bags, maybe just a bag, uh, eight or nine miles up the road, you know. Oh, man. <laughs> it's man. Uh, but it, it's got to be done, you know. It's, there's people in worse situations than I am. I'm Yeah, you know but what? that that doesn't mean that you're not in a about- bad
1: in a bad sit, in a bad state of affair, you're sounding really um, with it.
18: It's, yeah, compared to, uh, I'd like mean to apologise. I remember you, um, you've got
1: nothing to apologise for, Stephen.
18: I uh, uh, virtually sexually <laughs> um, I told you. It no, was. you
1: didn't. Don't be <laughs> daft. No, you didn't. No, you when
18: didn't. I I did, uh, what I meant was you just you've got a really calm voice that's that's all i mean and i could i i could i could i could hear and i i could hear ian and i could hear you and I could hear you cringing. I, I I Honestly, I don't know if that was in my own head or yeah. not,
1: but... It was. It was. I, f- I thought it was funny. Honestly, I don't mind. <laughs> and you've heard what people say to me. Flipping heck, I've had some outrageous <laughs> things. Oh, yeah, all right. But, you know, it's all right. It's all right. Um, right. You've got nothing to apologise for. I'm just really pleased to hear you sounding so with it. Um, yeah. How do we get you through... How do we get you through the next however many hours? Are you going to bed now?
18: Eh... Uh, uh, I may have a, a no. A cup of coffees a bad idea. It yeah. probably
1: is a bad idea.
18: Yeah. Uh, and what time can you
1: get in the food bank?
18: Uh, between two and four.
1: Oh, blimey, that's yeah. a long time, isn't it?
18: Yeah, what well, is aye? Right. But um,
1: can I audit. can I can I can I buy you a pizza or something?
18: Oh, you're joking,
1: aren't you? I'm not joking.
18: <laughs> oh, that would be that would be something else that would
1: be what do you fancy what what do you not like and what do you what's your favorite
18: oh pepperoni all right pepperoni below the cheese
1: all right okay let me let me try and sort that out if i pass you back to sam and he takes your address mm-hmm. i'll sort you out with something if i can
18: <laughs> i'd really Cat, like to Can't you're a saint no nah, i'm not <laughs>
1: no i'm not i just like pizza i'll pass you back all right <laughs> right, okay. right. Take care of yourself, Stephen. Uh, 0344 499 1000. When we get that, I'll send him something because um, that's a long time, isn't it? That is a long time. Uh, this I thought was interesting considering we bang on about kind of um, geeky gaming and stuff like that. This is actually an application for virtual reality that isn't, I don't know, uh, pornography based or to do with um, little little blokes jumping on tortoises and stuff. A specialist care facility in England is using virtual reality headsets and data mining to help children with autism to acclimatise to scenarios they're likely to encounter outside of school. Staff at Pryor's Court, which is located in Berkshire, Berkshire, sorry, hope the high-tech approach helps students adapt to the real world and enjoy new experiences such as virtual skiing or deep-sea diving. Okay. Okay, but, I mean... OK. People with autism may find unfamiliar situations stressful. OK, that's. I get it then. I get it then. I was going to say, you know, maybe something more usual might be more, uh, you know, something more mundane might be more helpful to someone with autism. But actually, I'm talking bold because it's about change and variety, I suppose. People with autism may find unfamiliar situations stressful. The VR scenarios introduce children to situations like visiting a shopping mall or getting on an aircraft without leaving the comfort and safety of their classroom. Um... Our young people, they have difficulties with sensory issues, so they can find it overwhelming going to a very busy place or transitioning to a new place, Nuno Guerrero, computing teacher at Pryor's Court School, told Reuters. They like what is familiar. They like their routine. So the VR sets allow them to experience new realities and probably help them transition when they have to face a new place. Prior's Court cares for around 95 young people at the severe end of the autism spectrum, including many who are non-verbal and unable to communicate their needs. The charity is also hoping big data can help. They're trialling a new data collection system called Prior Insight that will gather a detailed picture of each young person's day, including what they've eaten, how much exercise they've had and how they're behaving. That information looks at things like incidents, seizure activity, food and drink input, toiletry input, personal care, any activities they've done and any sleep data, project leader Elaine Hodgell said. We're hoping to not only increase our knowledge and awareness about the world of young people with autism at Priors Court, but we're also hoping to be able in time to share that with the wider world. Hodgell added, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? I mean, something that was developed, let's face it, probably to be a toy, maybe to be useful in, I don't know, they talk about using it in medicine and stuff, don't they, virtual reality, and so you can get expertise across across distances that they wouldn't be able to do physically, but that's fantastic. I have um, a family member who's got a a son with autism, and um, I remember the years of knowing there was something different about him for her, and, and the relief when she finally got that diagnosis that now they knew kind of, because everyone's different with autism, as you know, kind of what you were dealing with and some of the strategies that might be necessary to help him to sort of cope with everyday life and all that. And uh, he's come on brilliantly. I don't think he's, he's not massively verbal yet, but he's able to make himself a lot more understood. And as he's getting bigger, that's so important. But um, anything like this is fantastic. Virtual reality. Right, I want to... I've got a few minutes, haven't I, before Daryl comes in. I want to order that pizza. And actually, my stomach's rumbling as well. Have you got... Have you got? Let's sort that out. I'm assuming they'll have a... They'll have somewhere nearby that'll still deliver. I know it's stupid o'clock. Let's have a look. Ah, there's a point. All right, I might do it after, because I've got a couple of minutes. It's not going to... Forgive me, Stephen, it's not going to make that much difference, is it, if I just hang on a couple of secs. Uh, 0344 499 if you want to get your phone call in before Daryl comes in, because you know what he's like when he starts going. Um, we've also got, uh, tw- you can tweet at Talk Radio, you can tweet uh, at Flipping cat, that's me, or you can text 87222, start your text with the word TALK, and uh, that text will cost you 25p plus your standard network charge. Daryl Morris is coming up next, and... Um, He'll take your calls as well. He likes a good chat and uh, it can be a lonely old time of the night. Hey, Steve.
19: Hello, Kat. How are you doing? I'm
1: all right. What's going on with you, Steve?
19: Oh, God. I'm Well, I'm just having one of these nights where... Do you know when you get one of these nights where you just think that you lost, you lost everybody and you want to, you know destroy yourself
1: oh Steve has something happened today
19: I met up with a friend of mine yeah and his daughter and uh, you know she's like in the twenties and thirties, and you know I, I don't know I'm just in a complete mess
1: right and it's making you feel a bit I'm,
19: I, yeah you're can I can really I make really...
1: can I make two suggestions? Have you have you been drinking tonight, Steve?
19: I, I'm a bit catty.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's not going to make you feel any better. And it, it, it. No. It, it, so I would suggest you go to bed. But C- well, if you're feeling like you're going to hurt yourself, please don't. And I, I would suggest you ring the Samaritans because I'm about to go and uh, I want to make sure someone Do hears you, know you out.
19: Cuss. I'm really hungry. Yeah. And uh, I know I've spoken to Ian a few times, he brought me a pizza Did he? once or twice. And, uh, you know, I've got no money, I've got no food, I'm on the doll, yeah. on that, and I don't know. Right. I know Ian's brought me a pizza once or twice before. I oh, know
1: he has. Oh. Steve, yeah. let me, have you got, mm, have you got a pen?
19: I've got a pen, yeah.
1: All right, here we go. I want you to ring this number. Okay.
19: Let me get my pen. Here we go. Hang on, hang on a second. I can't find my pen. Are you still there? Yeah,
1: I'm still here. I'm still here.
19: Yeah, you're still there. All right, I've got my pen. You got
1: something? Right. Right. Scribble this down and give them a ring because they will listen. 116...
19: One one six,
1: and then one two three.
19: One two
1: three. I have a word with them. Yeah. Then get your head on the pillow, yeah. and I promise you tomorrow morning you'll feel a bit better.
19: I feel better with food beef and food in my tummy.
1: I know you would. Are you going to get? Right. What, what What's the situation with you? Food bank wise?
19: Nothing until I get food bank. Yeah. I'll uh, probably Monday. So I've got no food. Really, I've got like bits of pasta and stuff. That's why I was like, going to really ring up to see me because I know Ian me here, peaked. Yeah, I know we did. Again, uh, I, I know you can't.
1: I can't do it for everyone. Maybe. Here's the thing, Steve, and, and I'm worried that this is the what, the third time?
19: Second? It's been the second time. All
1: right, maybe the second time. But obviously, it's something that keeps happening. Tell you what. Give, give, the Samar- give the Samaritans a call, have a sleep, and maybe give us a ring tomorrow when you're not drunk. All right? Okay, I'm going to have to go, Steve. I'm going to have to go, but thank you for giving us a ring. But here's the thing. Let's talk about it tomorrow when when we can have a decent conversation. If anyone else is out there and you need someone to talk to, 116123 is the number for Samaritans, and they're just flipping brilliant. Uh, here's Daryl Morris.
20: Hello, Kath. How are you? I'm
1: all right. How are
20: good. you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm very, very well. I'm well, I think. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm tired, but it's fine.
1: Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. Isn't it funny doing this shift it's to a start way, to what? go into a bit of a fog.
20: I'm, in, and I'm probably at a bit of a point, and this, I don't want to go on about this because I think people get a bit bored of it, don't they? When, But I'm, I'm at a point now where it's the end of the week. I slept too much today.
3: Uh-huh.
20: I slept from 7am till 7pm. Which is twelve hours. Yeah, twelve hours of sleep. But I needed it, you know. When you really need it. And I don't really know where I am. I just I've not sort of I've not really got my footing in the day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, it's like <laughs> it's the day. Really. No, I'm not. I'm not only am I because you if you wake up at like three, four o'clock, you, you you're catching up. Yeah. But you can catch up, and you're usually caught up within half an hour. You've done the you've checked the news, and you've checked your phone, and your girlfriend's all right. You know, yeah. everybody's still alive. You sort of everything's okay. Yeah. And then uh, and you can kind of get into it, but, but at this point I, you're still chasing done. the day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the day's on. the day's done. It's already done. It's already, <laughs> done. It's already over. And I, I can't, so I can't get into it. I can't get my foot in it. Anyway, there you go, that's a... But,
1: but that's, that's by the by, because now we are here. You've got till 58.20 to sell your oh, show, my friend. Yeah,
20: That's loads of time. Are you, uh, No, that's just loads of time. I don't even know what to tell you to tell you the truth in that, in that period of time. Uh Elton Moon is here. Oh, yeah. Who owns the pubs. Do you know Elton Moon?
1: Yes, I recognise that face.
20: He, he's, a very, he's a great guy. Uh, he owns pubs, so he's always good for it. He always brings uh, samples of things.
1: Okay, of course he does. It would be rude not to, wouldn't he would, it? would, yeah.
20: And I'm not saying that's why we keep inviting him back. Uh, <laughs> Although that is a big cool box. But it is, yeah. Uh, so he's going to be here. We're going to be, we're gonna be t- we'll see if we can tell the difference between some um, uh, uh, alcoholic drinks and non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah. Also, CBD drinks are apparently on the rise as well. Yeah, I bet. Because CBD has become a very popular uh, thing, isn't it? You yeah. know, a way of kind of keeping... Uh, it's a great calming... Um, uh, uh, thing, isn't it, I think? I don't know a lot about it.
1: Apparently, Apparently so. Sort of People like that love it swear by it, don't they? A
20: little bit, I guess, yeah. Clutching at straws a bit. America, we're going to there as well. Chinese New Year. Happy Chinese New Year to oh, you. yeah,
1: how do you say it? Is it Gung Hai Fat Choy?
20: Gung Hai Fat Choy. I guess so. I just copied what you said there. I've got no idea. It's
1: probably something very rude. We're Apologies to all you really
20: badly. Uh, We're also going to be listens. finding out more about this really strange story about Jeff Bezos being hacked and yeah! how you can not let that happen to you. We're going to speak to uh, the son's tech person to find out how not to be Jeff Bezos.
1: Incredible, because ah. it is something pretty mm. creepy. Anyway, it all sounds brilliant. Thank you very much uh, for keeping me company tonight. Stay, on t- stay tuned for Daryl Morris, because he's absolutely brilliant.
3: Talk Radio.